Huey Lewis in the News from 1987, I believe. This is Hip to be Square. That was Hip to be Square. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druffin Friends Show. December 2nd, 2014, the final month of the year. And we're starting late tonight once again, uh, 7.01 as I'm recording right now. I started the song slightly before 7. Technically, the show starts at 6.30, but sometimes I'm late. And today, I had a lot going on during the day, and unfortunately, uh, that made me late for radio. But if you're listening in the archives, which most of you do, then you don't care if we start late. So I won't spend more time talking about our lateness. Apologies to the live listeners. Someone in chat asking, why do I sound like I was being chased? Well, what happened was, in an effort to start the show not any later, I had a few things still to do, so I started the song, and then I ran around doing the things I had to do, and then ran back into the radio studio, and got here just about in time for the song to end. I did not want any dead air there. I I hate dead air. That's the worst thing you can have on any radio show. Anyway... This is the Druff and Friends Show. I am Todd Dandruff. Would tell us we do this every week, usually on Tuesday night, usually around 6.30 p.m. to around 10 or 10.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And every week we have a free roll that is sponsored by the users of this show, of this site, and the listeners of this show. Very generous people who donate money, real cash money, to this free roll we have every week. It is not funded by me, and I appreciate that our listeners are this generous to where we have given away more money than any poker podcast or radio show in the world. We've been doing this for almost three years now. Actually, more like two and a half, but who's counting? Tonight, we have an $89 free roll, and the money for the free roll came from the following parties. Mulva donated $13, except he only wanted it to be used for first and second place. JSTAT gave $10. Limp Donk Bingo gave $3. SMI Florida gave $15 because he wanted to share his winnings from a sports bet I posted on the site that he followed and won. Fortunately, he picked one of the bets that I posted that actually was a winner. I've posted both some winners and losers, honestly. I Am Greek donated $30 from one of his first place finishes. Thank you very much for that. And Sensei Crease donating $18. That adds up to $89. It will break out in the top heavy fashion as follows. First place will be $47. Second, $26. Third, $10. Fourth, $6. So you got to really shoot for first and second on this one if you want to make any kind of decent money. And... This takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen. You need a separate account there, but it's completely free. You don't even need play chips to register for the tournament. Starts at 7.40 p.m., 36 minutes from now. You do have 25 minutes after that to late register. And in order to qualify for the free money, you need to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you don't, then you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks. You can do that by telling me things you've heard that are not in the show description over the last three weeks you've listened. 
Or you can donate $10 or more to future free rolls, and you'll instantly have qualification to enter these free rolls. The reason we do this is just to prevent people from showing up to the site only to play the free roll, yet have no interest in the radio show itself or the forum. Uh, you don't have to listen to the show and post on the forum. You don't have to do both, just one. I just want someone... If you win, I want you to be someone who has an interest in this site other than the free money we give away. It's that simple. I will pay you in various forms of cash. This free roll is different than most other free rolls where you end up with it on a poker site and then you have to worry about cashing out. This, I send you the money directly. I'll send it to you on PayPal, which is the preferred method. I can also do a bank transfer, Bitcoin, which more and more people are taking advantage of, cash or check. So it's real cash money, this free roll, and you do get paid. Thanks once again to the people who donate every single week to this free roll. I have no co-host tonight. It's called the Druff and Friends Show because sometimes I have co-hosts here who help me out. But this week there is no co-host. I'm flying solo, which means that I will not be able to follow the chat room as much as I can when we have hosts that go along with me. What chat room am I talking about? In case you don't know, there's a chat room. Just click the chat button near the top of the screen. You need a registered account on the Poker Fraudler forum to get in there, and you need a flash-enabled device, meaning an, no iPhone, no iPad. They do not have flash, but any flash-enabled device or a computer will get into the chat room, and you can interact with the live listeners there. If you want to get a hold of me, the chat room's not really a good place. The way you get a hold of me directly during the show, you can do it a few ways. You can text me. 775-372-8355, which is also the show's main telephone number. 775-372-8355 is our text number. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. You can also call the show. 775-FRAUD55 is the main phone number. That's the same as the text number, 775-372-8355. If you want, you can also call the Mount Charleston number. The Mount Charleston number is an old 70s rotary phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas, and it forwards to wherever I go, whatever secret location I choose to be at during the broadcast. 702-430-1808 is that number. 702-430-1808 is that phone number. Whatever number you call, make sure to show your caller ID or your call will not get through. If you're calling, you get a busy signal. That means that your caller ID is not being shown. If I don't answer your call, don't worry. Just try again in about 15 minutes. It just means I cannot take your call at the moment. Usually if I'm in the middle of something, I will not want to stop what I'm doing to take a call. Sometimes I will, sometimes I won't. But don't be offended if I don't take your call. Just try back in 15 minutes or so. Let me give you the agenda for tonight, and then we will jump right into it. Well, today I got some bad news. I got some bad news at the dentist. Nobody likes to get bad news at the dentist, and that happened today to me. I'm not going to make an hour-long segment about the dentist, don't worry, but I will tell you what I found out today and why I'm hurting a bit during this show. Two Poker Stars stories tonight. Number one, Vicky Corin quits being Poker Stars, being a Poker Stars pro over the casino coming to Poker Stars. And Daniel Negranu responds to her blog about that with a little blog of his own. 
We'll talk about what she said, what Daniel said back, and who I agree with. PokerStar is also trying to fight the seat scripting exploit. I'll explain what seat scripting is and how PokerStars is fighting it, but is PokerStars going far enough to fight it? We'll talk about that too. Bovada is the biggest U.S.-facing online poker room at the moment and has been for quite some time. Bovada is Bodog. Uh, they renamed it Bovada for the U.S.-facing part of the site. So if you want to play legal, not legalized, if you want to play online poker in the U.S., the very biggest online poker room right now for U.S. residents, legal or otherwise, is Bovada. But it might get a bit smaller because they have ended Western Union deposits, which was a very popular way for people to get money on there. I'll talk about why that happened. This is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. You'll see it's not being reported anywhere else except for Poker Fraud Alert. Well, I'm going to be trying my hand, or not going to be, I have been trying my hand at NBA sports betting. Don't worry, I'm not going to shoot off my bankroll chasing sports betting success, as many other poker pros have done, but I am trying sports betting with the NBA with a moderate amount of money. Moderate meaning the money is meaningful, but it's not really big to where it's going to change my lifestyle either way. But I thought it would be fun to do it, and I, I yeah. Like many other people who bet sports, I, I have a feeling I know what I'm doing. I have a feeling I kind of can uh, predict whether certain lines are uh, going to fall one way or the other, but we'll see. The results will speak for themselves. I have not bet on enough games to give any kind of indication of that yet. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about what my general strategy has been. The Golden Nugget New Jersey Online Casino, which is one of the online casinos, legalized online casinos in the state of New Jersey, has a very obnoxious terms of service, which basically gives them permission to steal your money. Yeah, you might wonder, how could a legalized online casino that is regulated by the Department of Gaming Enforcement in New Jersey be able to steal your money. Well, they think they can over a reason that definitely should not qualify for stealing your money. I will talk about what's in those terms and whether those terms could have any kind of teeth if you were to challenge it legally. Real Gaming is a legalized online poker room in Nevada that's associated with the South Point Casino. And they are trying to grab the displaced Ultimate Poker players. You know, there's been a lot of people who were playing regularly on Ultimate Poker that are looking for a place to go. And all 13 of those people are really looking for a new room to start playing. <laughs> but uh, Real Gaming is trying to grab those 13 displaced Ultimate Poker players, and we'll talk about what they're doing. Speaking of new poker rooms, Mike Mizraki, the grinder, is opening up his own poker room. We'll talk about what that is, and I'll tell you something. It has to do with Bitcoin. Well, there's been a lot of poker movies over the years, especially since the poker boom in 2003, and they've all had one thing in common. They're all terrible. But there was one good poker movie, and it predated the poker boom, and that was Rounders. I'll tell you why I believe Rounders was the only good one. You know, there's a reason why I think it was good and the rest of them sucked. 
And the reason I'm bringing this up now, Rounders is a 16-year-old movie, is because Edward Norton, one of the stars of the original Rounders, says there's a possibility of a Rounders 2. And I'll play an interview. He had a short interview where he says that. Yahoo Poker, which is only free money poker, but it's going to be shutting down on December 31st. I'll talk about possible implications of that. Finally, if you're a a pro poker player and someone asks you what you do for a living, I don't necessarily mean like one of your friends. I mean someone who's a stranger. You know, you you go to the doctor or dentist and they ask you. Uh, You go to a car dealership and they ask you. Uh, Basically... Anyone that you're never going to be close to, to where you don't necessarily have to give a true answer. Is it smart at this point to say you play poker for a living? Back in the 90s and the early 2000s, definitely no. But what about now? I'll talk about that in the editorial. So those are the things we're doing. Oh, one other thing. Uh, There's an update on last week's story where Ken Scaler called up Loveline and told Dr. Drew and the band AFI about a girl who worked at Wendy's that he had a crush on and how to approach her. We tried to call that Wendy's, but we were unsuccessful in locating that girl. I've gotten some more information about it. We're going to try to call back and either find her or find out what hours she works. And maybe I'll call her during a time when the show's not on and play the result on here. But we're going to try again tonight now that I have more information from the man himself, from Ken Skeeler. And yes, he is aware that we are going to call this week and he, gave his blessing so that's the agenda tonight let me take a quick look in the chat room uh jay stat he's not uh very supportive of my nba betting saying i warned you guy about nba sports betting tough racket um let's see desert explorer happy to see that there may be a rounders too Lord Mikon asking if I take blocked phone numbers. He just wanted me to make that speech about how I don't take blocked phone numbers. Uh, Hotshot74 predicting that the bad news I got at the dentist was a root canal because I drink too much soda. Well, I'll answer that right now. So this is what happened. Uh, last week, I think I woke up and find this, but maybe not. I, it was sometime early in the day, I think on Friday. I noticed that there was a hole in one of my teeth toward the back of my mouth on the upper right. There's a hole. I could tell that because my tongue felt something that it was not familiar with. It's funny because your tongue knows your mouth really well. If anything changes with your teeth, your tongue is the first to catch it and you'll immediately notice something's out of the ordinary. So my tongue noticed there was a sizable hole in one of my teeth. And I tried to put my finger over there and feel it. And it was a little bit sharp. I could tell something broke off there. I figured it was a filling that came out. And, you know, that happens over time. Sometimes fillings wear off or slip off or a piece of food knocks them off. And it doesn't happen much, but it can happen. I knew there was a filling somewhere in that region. So I thought it was likely the filling just came out. And I would just have to go to a dentist and have it replaced. Now, At the secret location where I'm at right now, there is no dentist I've regularly been going to. The dentist I was visiting uh, is not in this area. So I went to a dentist I hadn't been to before. And I was sure, I was sure he was going to say, a filling came out. Let me put that filling back in. And, you know, I'd be out, what, 
150, 200 bucks, whatever it costs, and that'll be that. Easy procedure, not painful at all, and that would be that. Well, it wasn't. I came there, and indeed, a filling fell out. But unfortunately, the filling fell out because behind that filling was a bunch of decay. And right behind that decay is the nerve of my tooth, and that that tooth needs a root canal. Now, when the filling fell out, there was no pain. But over the last, you know, five days or whatever, the pain has slowly increased, and it does hurt now. It's not excruciating, but it does hurt. I'm feeling it right now as I'm doing this show. I thought it was just because the tooth was open, like there's a hole in it, and with air getting in there, it can irritate the nerves in there. I was sure that's what was happening, and that is kind of what's happening, but what I didn't realize is that there's uh, enough damage inside the tooth from the decay behind the filling to where I need a root canal. I had a root canal once before and had that root canal been needed one day earlier than it was, Benjamin would tell us my son would not exist. This was in February of 2010 and uh, me and Benjamin's mom actually were looking at a calendar that predicted when she was most likely to get pregnant and we were trying to have her get pregnant So I was very disappointed that on February 10th, my uh, tooth, which I I could tell was going to need a root canal soon, it was going to be my first one ever, uh, it started really acting up and being extremely painful. So on the morning of February 10th of 2010, I had to leave. I had to go back to where my dentist was, which was quite some distance away from where Benjamin's mom lived. And I knew I wouldn't uh, be back there until after the calendar said it was no use trying. So the day that it was most likely to get her pregnant was February 10th, and I could not be there for it. So I was disappointed about that. And even I have a Facebook message I sent her saying how it kind of sucks that we're missing out on the best possible day to get her pregnant. And I thought for that reason, February was going to be a failure and there would be no pregnancy. But indeed, February 9th, the day before which was rated as a day that pregnancy is possible, but not nearly as good as the 10th. The 9th, it happened. It was the 9th that did it. So I actually know when Ben was conceived. It was on February 9th, 2010. And had that root canal occurred, had I needed that root canal, one day earlier on February 9th, there would have been no Benjamin. That's what I think of when I hear about root canals. But I was hoping I would not hear about one. And since I had that root canal, and it was not pleasant... I don't know if you guys have ever had one before. Uh, It's not that painful. It's just a very unpleasant procedure. Uh, One of the things I hate that they do, which I think they didn't used to do, they they put this rubber thing over your mouth. They call it a dental dam. It's supposed to make it more hygienic, but, you know, it makes it feel like they're uh, covering your mouth to where you can't breathe. It's it's just an unpleasant thing. And uh, it costs a lot of money. It costs, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood, I think, like 1500 bucks. Then you got to get a crown for that tooth, and that's another uh, you know, 1500 or so. It, it really sets you back over 3000 by the time the whole thing's said and done. And it's annoying. It's like an unpleasant thing that's expensive. And I don't have dental insurance. Dental insurance is usually not a good buy. And, you know, if I knew this was coming, I would have gotten it. But usually just it's not a good buy. So I'm going to have to pay out of pocket. And I have to go get it done. And I'll tell you right now, it hurts. (laughs) So 
Probably get it done tomorrow. Someone suggesting go to Mexico. It'll be a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. I don't have dental insurance because the premium is pretty high. And when you multiply it times 12 for a year, you end up paying a lot of money. And the benefits you get from it are not that good. It has a, a relatively low maximum so like in the worst case scenario, you're still not spending, uh, saving that much money and it doesn't cover 100% of your expenses. And, uh, you know, it's like, like if I had dental insurance, they'd pay like 50% of the root canal. Also, a lot of doctors don't take it. So if you want the maximum value out of the policy, you have to go to some crap dentist and it's just not a good deal. And the reason it's not a good deal is that these companies know that people will sign up for dental insurance only when they think they have something expensive that's going to be coming soon. So they try to protect themselves against it by just not making it a good deal and having all these waiting periods. So, like, I couldn't just go sign up for dental insurance tomorrow and then get the root canal. Uh, it's like a year wait for a root canal to get uh, coverage on these plants. So, <laughs> needless to say, I don't have it. Anyway, enough about uh, this is not going to be dentistry radio. Just wanted to let you know I, I'm doing the show anyway, even though... My tooth hurts, and it does make my mouth feel worse to be talking for all these hours straight, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's, a, that's my dedication here. So let's jump into the first real topic of the night, and that is Vicky Corin. She is quitting as a PokerStars pro because she doesn't like the fact that PokerStars is adding a casino to the site. It's not going to just be poker anymore. You might say, what could possibly be her objection? Isn't poker already gambling? It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like some Xbox game is adding casinos for real money to the site. This is uh, a gambling site adding a different form of gambling. Well, let me read you her blog, and maybe you'll understand. And there is a rebuttal to this. This is written on November 26, 2014. On Friday night, PokerStar has announced that it will be rolling out online casino gaming alongside its internet poker. As a result, on Saturday morning, I terminated my endorsement contract with them. This is just this past Saturday. Their news was very sudden, so I didn't have much time to consider my position. But I knew that I had to act quickly before I could think better of it. Obviously, this is a scary and sad decision for me to make. I have been with PokerStars since 2007, and, a Team Pro has, and Team Pro has been a core of my identity. Obviously, I will miss the money, and I am nervous of managing without it. Uh, to show you how nervous she is, uh, her husband makes more than... One million dollars. So, I, I don't know how she's going to get along with the family only drawing that kind of income. <laughs> Don't write that. Come on, Vicky. Don't don't write, I don't know how I'm going to get along without it. I'm going to miss the money when your husband is making bank every year. Okay? That's just, that just pisses people off who know the truth. Anyway, going on. Also, ironically enough, my plan for the next year or two has been to travel less and play more online. But I can't hang around, sleep on it, have meetings, and talk to myself into staying when my gut tells me the right thing to do is to walk away. This is no criticism of PokerStars itself. Business is business. They are providing a new service that people want, and I know they intend to abide by some of the key principles of responsible gaming. 
It's not anti-casino either. I spend a lot of time in casinos, and I've been known to indulge in table gaming. But I cannot professionally and publicly endorse it, even passively, by my silence with my name still over the shop. Poker is the game I love. Poker is what I signed up to promote. The question I've probably asked most often in interviews is the danger of addiction, going skint, and so on. What is going skint? Can someone in the chat... What is going skint? It's, it's obviously not a term that's yours, used in the U.S. What is going skint? Someone, what does that mean? People are afraid of the uh, possibility of some of the players going skint. What is going skint? Do I have to Google this? Anybody in the chat room going to help? What is going skint? What is going skint? Broke. There we go. Thank you. Bobby Orr told me in the chat room that's broke. Okay. Thank you. Going skint. All right. Let me continue here. Where is it? See, now I, I was looking for the skint thing in the chat room. Now I lost the blog. Here we are. Here we are. Now I gotta find my spot. Damn, damn it, her and her going skint. Uh, here we are. I'm always careful to explain the difference between essentially the fair nature, the essentially fair nature of poker, where we all take each other on with the same basic chance, and those casino games at unfavorable odds, which can be, especially online, so dangerous for the vulnerable or desperate. So, um, guys, when you sit at a poker table, do you believe that everybody at the table has about the same basic odds to win? <laughs> Yeah, that, not at the tables I see that. <laughs> Although Poker Stars assured me that I would not have to actively promote the casino arm, I know in my heart that continuing my current role could risk helping to send people to a place where they would encounter something I think is dangerous. That's not the way I want to make a living. I will watch from the outside to see what the new site looks like, how safe and responsible it seems, how the advertising feels, and the direction the company takes. Maybe in the future I will be able to work with Poker Stars again on something which is pure poker. I don't know, but certainly there are no hard feelings between me and that company, which has done so much for the beautiful game over the last decade. They have been gracious and understanding about my decision. Many of the people there are good friends of mine, and I'll miss working with them. The, e- the EPT and the UKIPT are great tours, which I will continue to play, if, less, if a little less often. I have had seven wonderful years as a proud member of Team Pro, and I wish it wasn't over. This is a very sad and regretful day for me. I still believe that Poker Stars is, at the time of writing, the best place to play online poker. I like how she qualifies that, at the time of writing. Like, she just wants to make sure if it goes in the toilet that uh, they don't call her on that later and say, well, it's not the best place to play at the time of writing. <laughs> Players and gamblers of the world, I'm sure I'll still see you across the occasional Bayes table. What is Bayes? B-A-I-Z-E. I need, like, a dictionary to understand this blog. The occasional Bayes table. Okay, I'm stopping again. What is Bayes? B-A-I-Z-E. Bayes. What is a Bayes table? Someone tell me what is a Bayes table. Come on, chat room. You can do it. B-A-I-Z-E. Someone Google it for me. I'm, I'm not continuing with this show until I know what a Bayes table is. Uh, Lord Micon saying salad dressing Bayes. <laughs> and that's not the mic on, you know, you think it is. It's someone with a parody of that name. Uh, Jay Stat saying green felt. Okay, that makes sense. She's saying the poker table. Why, why not just say the poker table? Why the Bayes table? 
Best wishes to all at PokerStars, whether working within the company, wearing the badge, or giving action on the software. Play safely, be careful, and good luck. So that's it. Well, before I give you my opinion, which I, I think you can already figure out from some of the comments I've made and some of the laugh tracks I've played during this interview, uh, I will put the Daniel Negreanu response up there. and Or I'll read the Daniel Negreanu response. And then I will tell you who I agree with. Obviously, Negreanu, who works for STARS, had something to say in response to this. And uh, where is it? Where is it? How did that disappear from the thread? Here we are. Sorry for the dead air, people. Okay. Here's Daniel DeGranu, two days later, November 28th, responding. He says, When I started out my career as a professional poker player, it required me to answer a few questions. Am I okay with making a living that requires me to take money from people who are less skilled? Am I okay with the fact that some of those people are making very bad decisions for themselves and possibly their family? Am I okay with taking advantage of the fact that those people don't know the odds are stacked against them? Am I okay with playing poker in a casino that offered games of chance to people where the household's an edge big enough to make sure they could never be long-term winners? Am I okay with eating dinner or seeing a show in a casino where some problem gamblers are ruining their lives? Well, the simple fact is I chose poker as a career and have been doing so for 20 years, and this answer is enough. I am aware of the dangers that exist for people when it comes to gambling, whether it's poker where professionals fleece the novice players or casinos offering, quote, fun games that are unbeatable. I would personally feel like a hypocrite if I justified that it's okay for me to take money from problem gamblers, but it's not okay for the casino to do the same. If it's wrong, it's wrong, no matter who profits. As much as we'd like to separate poker from gambling, poker played for money is gambling. There will be some winners and a vast majority of losers. The stock market and sports betting are no different. Plenty of people make bad decisions in the market and on Sundays uh, when they overextend themselves on NFL games. Poker stocks and sports are all beatable games if you put in the hard work, the really hard work that most of you will not put in, but convince yourself that you have. When you lose, you may blame bad luck. You may be convinced by ads, marketing, or watching other young pros win millions online that this could be you. It could, but it probably won't be. You may believe that you're a sports guru and that you can pick winners based purely on your instinctual gift to evaluate teams, or maybe you think that you're the next uh, bigwig day trader who's going to make millions in the stock market. I think Negreanu is bashing me and trying to bet the NBA. I think I think Negreanu is reading Poker Fraud Alert, and he sees I'm betting on the NBA, and he's trying to mock me from afar. That's not very nice, Daniel. <laughs> okay. Examples exist in society of people that we may aspire to be that have beaten the odds and made it to the top of poker, sports betting, and the stock market. I don't know of any such delusions when it comes to casino games. The math is quite simple. The more you play, the more you're going to lose. You could win, and you will win occasionally, but the game is so obviously rigged in a way that you will ensure that will ensure the house will always win in the end. With casino games, there's no hope or illusion that you could become a roulette superstar. It's not a fair game in the sense that the hard work you could, with hard work you could beat it. 
Uh, the, that opportunity doesn't exist in casino games. Having said that, a recreational player who puts down $100 at blackjack is going to win more often than he would at a poker table. His ROI is going to be better at a craps table than it would be sitting down at a poker table full of sharks. He'll lose either way, of course, but the only difference is who gets his money. The casino or the shark poker players are taking advantage of or the dis, of the uh, disadvantaged recreational player. Let me stop here. He's absolutely right. Recreational poker players have no shot against pro players in the long term and even in the medium term and even in the long short term. Yes, a recreational player can sit down and win one tournament or he could win one cash game session, maybe even two or three. But play for any appreciable amount of time. I don't mean years. I mean you play regularly for a month if you're a recreational player you're going to lose unless you're playing against other recreational players. But if you sit at any game of meaningful stakes and play against the very good players, the Sharks, you are going to lose. I know this because I have not held a regular job, or really any job, for the last 11 years, 11 plus years. That is because I beat those recreational players. I beat them enough to account for the rake that I'm still paying the house when beating those recreational players. That's how much they're losing. And it's not because I've been spectacularly lucky. It's because these recreational players are bad enough to where they can feed me and they can feed the other sharks sitting with me who beat them as well. So that shows you how the recreational players basically have no chance. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the higher or mid-limit games going online, but basically you have a bunch of regulars sitting around. They really don't want to play each other. Not because they're colluding, but they just know that the competition is tough and they, they don't want to leave it up to chance who wins. But as soon as a fish sits down, a.k.a. a recreational player, they all sit in or they all rush to the table, they all play until the fish busts, and then they quit. Sometimes they'll play a little bit more for show, but in reality, they're waiting for that fish. There are very few times where that fish sits down and plays for any appreciable amount of time and walks away a winner. Most of the time, the fish goes broke. Most of the time, the fish has about no chance to win. Now, you also have no chance to win long-term or even medium-term against the casino unless you hit some kind of like slot machine jackpot. But if you play blackjack, for example, you're not going to be able to win unless you're counting cards. And if you're doing that, they're going to catch you and boot you out anyway. But if you play blackjack without counting cards, or if you play craps, or if you play slots, or if you play video poker, except for at the few uh, positive expectation machines that are left, you will lose. But you won't lose as quickly as you will at the poker table. The odds are not as much against you in these casino games as they are at the poker table if you're a recreational player. If you're a recreational player, you're going to lose both the rake and you're going to lose to the pros because they're much better than you. And you're going to get crushed. Your chance of winning is tiny. So that's what Daniel's saying. Daniel is saying, as bad as the casino games are, for recreational players, poker's worse. And I agree. So you can't say, I feel bad that problem gamblers are losing money to casinos and I don't want to promote that, but hey, I'll promote poker because by promoting poker, the recreational players are losing faster. Now, uh, Daniel posed some good questions at the beginning of the blog. Is he okay with certain things like being the recreational players, uh, taking money from problem gamblers, uh, the fact that some of the recreational players uh, don't really realize what a disadvantage they're really at? Um 
he had to decide for himself, is this something he wants to do? And I've had this discussion with people before, people who don't approve of me being a poker pro, and they say, you know, it's almost like being a thief is what they say to me. Uh, People come sit down at the poker table. They don't fully realize how much of it a disadvantage they really are. And even if everybody plays fairly, uh, they have almost no shot and you take their money. And that's that's not a nice thing to do. Uh, I I had to think about that myself before I became a poker pro. But I I decided, look, everybody's an adult. Everybody makes their own decisions. Uh, I would never cheat anyone at the poker table. But um, it's not true that to play a game against someone, even a game for money, that I have to worry about whether they're as skilled as me before playing with them. I don't. If they want to play me, they can. I'm, I'm not tricking them. It's not like they sit down and say, oh, man, this is my first time here. Like, I, I don't do things like that. So the bottom line is uh, it's up to everybody how they want to spend their money. If they're playing a fair game, which they are, then uh, uh, if they lose because I have more skill, then that's on them. And furthermore... If they don't lose it to me here, they're going to lose it either to the other pros playing or they're going to go bet in some other form where eventually they're going to lose their money. If you're a problem gambler, you're a problem gambler, and you're going to lose all your money no matter what. It's a matter of where. So I'd rather I get it or other poker pros get it than the casinos get it. But back to what Vicky Corrin said, you're not – you can't say one is okay and the other isn't okay. It's either – Yes, it's okay for both the casinos and poker pros to take money from recreational players because everybody makes decisions with their own money and it's not unethical to play a game for money and win. Or you can say, no, it's not ethical to ever gamble. It's not ethical for anyone to have a skill advantage over the other. Or it's not ethical for a casino to have a odds advantage over the players. And you can argue that, but you have to be consistent. And Vicky Corrin is not being consistent. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to bother to read the rest of Daniel's blog. You can go find it. You can just Google um, Daniel Negreanu Vicky Corrin and read his whole response. It, it's pretty much more of the same and... Uh, Pretty much everything he got. I'm just going to read the end here. He says, I both respect and admire Vicky Corrin's personal stance on online casino gaming. I assume she asked herself a lot of tough questions and in the end drew a line in the sand where she wasn't willing to cross. I suppose everyone has their own line in the sand and they aren't all going to be the same. uh, And that's neither right nor wrong. What matters most is that when you draw the line, you also follow it up with doing what you feel is right. And Vicky deserves all the kudos in the world for doing that. So uh, he says, I, I'm aware that on my climb to the top, it required me to step on a lot of heads. When I win, others lose, and I don't take that lightly. I thought of that before, too. When I have a really good night in poker, I'm all happy, and then I think, wow, there's somebody on the other side. And, like, when you're playing live, you see the person losing, and it's easier to feel for them. But it's it's easier online to think of your opponent as faceless, almost like they don't exist. And when they lose to you, you just feel like I won money, almost like it came out of the air. And you don't really think that if you had a huge night that someone else had a terrible night. So I've thought about that before. I've thought about, wow, it's a great night. Wow, I've done so well. And they go, oh, wait a minute. Someone's really having an awful day right now because I won. And I've wondered if people have thought that about me when I've gotten beat really hard. Probably not. They're probably just happy they got my money. Anyway, I think Negranu 
has it right. And uh, I agree with what he wrote. Now, I think that uh, Amaya paid him to, uh, to write that. Or not paid him, but they asked him to write it. I don't think Negreanu read what uh, Vicky Korn wrote and was like, oh, I better get a blog up about this within two days. It's important for me to get out uh, my thoughts about the issue. I think Amaya probably went to Daniel and said, look, Daniel, everyone respects you. Uh, we don't want to put a response up to Vicky, especially because she was very gracious about us. So how about you write a response, uh, show everyone how hypocritical she's being, but do it in a nice, polite way and end with a nice statement about her. But uh, you know, can you please say something, Daniel? And then send it to us first so we can approve what you wrote. And then we'll put it up. Or actually, he put it up himself on his own blog. But I'm sure this wasn't just Daniel on his own deciding this is such an important thing he has to respond very quickly to. I'm sure it was part of his job duties. But that's okay. Uh, I don't think that Daniel wrote anything that he didn't really believe. I think Daniel really believed everything he said. And it's easy to because he's right. So uh, the bottom line is you're either pro everyone's right to gamble or anti. And I feel, I personally feel that gambling is fine as long as it's done fairly and in a transparent fashion where, um, you know, there's no gotchas that are tricking people. There's obviously no cheating of any kind. Uh, Everything is assured to be fair and regulated properly and that there's the proper authorities to complain to and authorities that actually do something about it when there's uh, violations of the rules. But provided all that's in place, I, I think that uh, gambling is a right that adults to have, you know, should have. And I don't think that it's necessarily a healthy activity for everyone to be doing, especially in excess. Yes, there's problem gamblers. Yes, there's people who have ruined their lives and families' lives uh, with gambling. But uh, there are many unhealthy behaviors that adults can engage in that also caused a lot of harm. Uh, overeating, uh, drinking too much, uh, you know, doing drugs, uh, you know, reckless spending. Uh, there's so many. There's so many. And you, you can't seek to outlaw everything that you think is immoral. So uh, now if it's something that causes harm to others or causes enough harm to yourself to where then you become a burden on society to take care of you, then I understand the government trying to step in and stop it. But uh, gambling is not like that. Gambling, if, you have, if you've made money and you want to risk it and you want to be stupid and risk it in a way where you're likely to lose, that's tough luck. And same with the stock market. Like, you know, we're supposed to regulate now how much people can invest in the stock market? Of course not. It's up to each individual up to each adult to decide what they do with their money and uh, some people are responsible with it and some aren't and that's just the way life is Uh, life is full of decisions every day that have to be responsible to some degree or you're just going to die or or get severely hurt or lose all your money there's a lot of ways you can lose your money or even die if you do the wrong thing so as an adult you're supposed to know enough to make the right decisions most of the time to keep yourself in okay shape you can't seek to outlaw every danger that can come with some of these uh, potential pitfalls. And I, I, there's a potential pitfall with my chat room. I just accidentally closed it. <laughs> so now I have to go back in there. So if you guys said anything in there, I, I, was about, I was trying to look at my chat room 
and then I, I hit the wrong button and closed it. So if he said anything, I did not see it. So here's a, another story about poker stars. Nothing having to do with the Vicky Corrin thing. This is about poker stars trying to fight an exploit. Uh, basically, I mean, I learned a long time ago that getting in the right games in online poker and getting the right seats in online poker is extremely important. Um, I was actually one of the first people to be doing this. I'm not going to say I'm the first. I mean, obviously I didn't invent the concept of taking a advantageous seat at the poker table. I'm not going to say that. It's not true. Uh, that existed long before online poker even existed. But I will tell you that as far as people that were really obsessed with taking the very best seat in the game on the fish that would sit down, uh, and I say this from observation from the infancy of online poker, I was really one of the first who was really, really making a big deal about that. And and, uh, and that really helped my results. And then people saw how it was helping my results, and they started emulating what I was doing. And, and it was funny, especially in Limit Hold'em, uh, there was always a race to the best seat in the game, which is the direct position on the fish, uh, you know, directly to his left. Uh, as soon as the fish would sit down, it'd be funny how quickly everyone would line up, you know, to the left. And then if that was, he was taking the next one to the left after that. And the next one after that, bang, 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 bang. So, uh, <laughs> I know this very well and I know how important this is. I've said before that the absence of good players is more important than the presence of bad players. I've said before that picking the right games to play in is more important than being the very best poker player. I've said before that having the best seat at the table can make a big difference in your results in a given session, even with the same cards dealt to you, uh, you over having the average or the worst seat at the table. So in general, not everyone agrees with this, but I, I definitely think this is true. In general, you want to be to the direct left of the fish. So you act right after he does. There's a few reasons for this. You can isolate him to where if he limps or raises, you can re-raise and try to knock everyone else out of the hand. And if you have uh, risk-averse people with you or ones who don't realize what's going on, then you can uh, get the fish heads up in a lot of pots and uh, really be in a great spot. Uh you, you can put more pressure on the people who act after you because even if they know what you're doing, uh, they don't know if you're raising with something strong or just trying to isolate. So it's hard. You know, for example, if uh, the fish limps and you raise him with jack nine offsuit, uh, someone may have queen nine offsuit after you. And they're, even if they know what you're doing, they're not going to want to commit to the hand of the queen nine offsuit after you've already raised because they don't know you have jack nine offsuit. So it's harder for them to make a decision now that you've already raised. It's called the, the betting first advantage, which usually isn't an advantage. You know, Usually the acting last is, but the, sometimes betting first uh, can give you a different advantage. And uh, as far as uh, isolating the fish, you want to act right after him. And also the fish always acts before you, so you don't have the problem where if he's calling down light that you have to keep firing into him and hope he folds. You can... Watch him act first, then you act second. And a lot of fish are very straightforward. So when they suddenly bet out into you and you don't have anything, you can fold. Uh, if they check-raise you, you know they're probably strong and you can fold. It depends what type of fish this is. I'm not going to do a strategy session here, but I'm saying that that's the best seat to have. And I remember when I would see fish sit, sit down, 
uh, I would like rush over to the game. I'd open the thing and I'd quickly click as fast as I could to the seat next to the fish. And I'd be disappointed if I missed it by like a split second. Uh, on Poker Stars, it shows a little letter R, meaning the seat is reserved. Reserved meaning that someone clicked on it and is now putting how much money they want to buy in with. And once it's reserved, you can't take it. So like it was such a heartbreak when a fish would sit down and I'd quickly click on the seat next to the fish only to see the R appear in a split second before I click the mouse to get that seat myself. And then I try to click the next seat over and that gets an R2. And I'm like, damn it, I missed that one too. So anyway, I'm very familiar with this whole process. Well, of course, people start to find ways to exploit that situation in an unfair fashion. And some people wrote software programs that would automatically allow you to take a seat to the left of the fish quicker than everyone else. Because, of course, a computer can do things much quicker than a human. A computer doesn't have to look at something. And, uh, you know, a computer can make a decision much quicker. A, a, A computer can see something much quicker. A computer can react much quicker. It doesn't have to fumble around with a mouse and click in the right spot. Well, people wrote these seat script programs, and this is the way they would work. Uh, it would be monitoring certain games. You tell the program what games to monitor, and it just constantly watches these tables. As soon as a new player sits at the table, and the way it can tell is when a seat turns from the words open seat to the letter R. As soon as the letter R appears there, you don't know who's sitting there yet, but you see a letter R. And as soon as it sees the letter R, it immediately grabs the seat directly to the left of it. But it doesn't buy in yet. It just holds the seat for 30 seconds or whatever it gives you. And then it watches who takes that seat. I'm talking about the program, not the human. Now, once the person takes the seat and they buy in and you see who it is, the computer looks at the name, it looks up the name in a database of players, and it sees if it's a winning or a losing player. If it's a winning player, then it never actually sits down. Then it aborts the whole process and acts like the whole thing never happened. Gives up the seat. If it's a fish, then at that point it buys in and it has the seat. So basically, uh, as soon as they see a seat being taken by anyone, they lock up the seat next to that person and then only take the seat if if the person actually sitting down is a fish. And if it's not a fish, do not sit. And since it's a computer doing this whole thing, it can do it in a split second faster than any human ever could. So even if you're watching the table like a hawk and staring at it and you see that R appear, if you try to do the same thing, you will not be faster than the program. Now, I think this is unethical. I think this is unfair. This is using computer software to give yourself an edge over other players that other players don't have. Now, you can say, well, people use software to data mine and uh, see stats on the players they're playing against. And there's an argument whether that's ethical or not ethical, but I think that's okay because uh, this is something everybody could do. It would just be more time-consuming. Uh, that is, uh, it doesn't give you, like what you could do if you wanted to is, uh, you could make all these calculations manually by hand and come to the same conclusions these programs give you. It would just be a lot more time consuming. Uh, and you could make your own database. So basically all these, uh, data mining programs are doing is saving you the trouble of doing the calculations and the, uh, you know, pouring over hand histories on your own. Uh, the problem with these seat scripting things is you could not duplicate what it's doing on your own. It just gives certain people an advantage to always get the best seat in the game, and that is unfair. It should not be allowed. 
PokerStars has known about this for quite some time, but you know, PokerStars, for as much as they've done to stop poker cheating, for some reason they have never had an interest in this. They've known about it. They've acknowledged it. They haven't had much of an interest. Well, finally, they are taking somewhat of a stance against it. And they're doing it by changing the software. This is what they wrote. Based upon input received here and elsewhere, we have set the number of failed reservations. Failed reservations meaning you know, when someone clicks and gets the R and then doesn't actually buy in. At any given table to two every six hours. To avoid being considered a failed reservation, you must post, you must post at least one blind to the table. So they're, they're saying here that even if you sit down and then immediately leave, that doesn't count. Basically, if you click on an open seat and then don't actually take a hand, then that's going to be counted as a failed reservation. And you can do at most two in six hours. Once you've done that, then it will not let you sit anymore. After so It says the following exceptions apply. Reservations made by Easy Seat or Find Seat Seat Manager. That, uh, I don't know what that is. Some kind of thing they have on their uh, software. Reservations that result from reaching the top of a waiting list will not ca- not count towards the failed reservation total. So they're saying like, if you're on a long waiting list and then you are called to the seat and say, oh, I don't want it anymore, then that's fine, because that that's not the same problem. They're saying if you're on a waiting list, that's you've you've really waited your turn. So if uh, if you get a seat and don't want to take it, that's that's cool. We we're not going to hold that against you. And if no other player is in a sit-in state at the table, when you leave the table, it also won't count. So that is if you, uh, if you go sit at a table and it turns out everyone's sitting out and you're like, well, screw this, I'm not sitting around when nobody's playing, uh, that's fine too. Uh, as we are implementing this change between software updates, it will only be live on newly spawned tables. Old tables until they die out will not have this restriction. It's possible some tables may be unaffected until the next server restarts. So they're saying that uh, this will only work until they uh, table spawn. If they're existing running tables, then uh, they can only force this restriction on there after they reboot the server or after the table dies. So if there's a game running constantly for two weeks, then they'll have to wait till the next server restart, which I think happens like once a week. But you know, who cares? That's not important. So you may think this is good. You may think this is stopping the problem because now if those scripts... Uh, grab a seat twice in six hours, that's it. That's the most it can do. That mostly makes those scripts useless, you would think. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about the thing where there are no players currently um, sitting in or the table's empty? I wonder... What if there's a guy sitting by himself? Okay, so there always has to be a game starter. A game can't start unless there's someone at the table because you need two people. So someone's always there first. So let's say you have uh, Shark A sitting at the table waiting. And let's say Shark or Fish A, or just Fish A, just let's say a fish tries to sit next to him. And then the script catches the fish sitting in and tries that trick of sitting next to the fish uh, reserving the seat and only sitting down if it actually is a fish would this be considered a sit out table since no hands have been dealt since a player sitting there by himself and obviously he can't play by himself and if a fish is the second to sit could someone be the third to sit and then quit 
I mean, in one, on one hand, you could say that the first player is already sitting, but uh, he hasn't actually played. So hopefully the answer to that is no. Hopefully if someone is sitting in at all without the game running, then that still counts. I don't know if it does or not. But I wonder this. Instead of putting these software restrictions and then actually harming people who aren't even doing this, because I remember when I played actively on Poker Stars, I, I would sometimes sit into a game or I'd start to sit in and I go, oh, never mind. You know, I don't want to play anymore. What, what if you go sit into a game because a fish is there and then he busts and then you leave? And this happens twice in six hours. Then you're shut out for playing for some time. So I don't think this, I think this is going to catch too many people who are not trying to do anything wrong. How about this? How about sending out a notice to everybody that this seat scripting is unacceptable and will not be allowed anymore? That anyone who continues to use automated programs to sit themselves, and it's very easy to detect this, uh, that they will be banned from poker stars. How about saying that this is completely disallowed? That they'll be watching for this. That they'll be analyzing every table. And anyone who is using seat scripting will be thrown off the site. I think that would put an end to it. But they're not doing that. They're, they're trying to stop the cheaters by making it more difficult for them to cheat. Now, this guy who posted it from PokerStars, he said this is not the end of the steps they're going to take to stop the seating scripting, but uh, they're going to evaluate the situation. And he invited players to join in on two team meetings in Toronto to discuss uh, possible further action. I guess they're uh, uh, meeting in Toronto, PokerStars, and they're saying people can come and make suggestions. But this is so dumb. It's so simple. Just say you can't do it. Say this isn't allowed. Okay, I hate to say it, but uh, give me some dead air here because I, I forgot to uh, I forgot to plug in the power to my computer. I knew I was forgetting something, so uh, this is going to cut in a second. Uh, so, what can I play here? Uh, I know, I know. I'll, I'll leave you something at least a little entertaining. Here we go. Here we go. I'll be back in about a minute with my uh, plug here. I, I don't know. Nope. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I'm just speculating now, so I just don't, you know. So I don't know. I remember sometime in the afternoon. I don't even know when. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I remember one time at a party. I don't know. I think I, I, I think I just responded with something like, um, we need to provide this customer a good answer. And I don't know. I, I just don't know. For, for the, for, for, can't, can't, can't I really don't even know. I don't recall. I don't know that I ever saw that email. I don't know, but I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I just don't know. I don't know. All right, people, I'm back. 
<laughs> Hope you enjoyed Howard Letterer saying, I don't know about what happened to all your money that he stole. Yeah. You know, um, this doesn't happen to Howard Stern. I need a producer here. I need a producer to sit in the room with me and uh, go and get these things that I forget. I started the show. I'm like, I think I'm forgetting something, but I see everything here. It seems like I'm good to go. And then my computer's like, yeah, you have 10 minutes before the power is going to be gone. And at some point, it actually shuts down to preserve the tiny bit of power that's left. So, you know, if I'm like writing a document or something, I won't lose it. So that was coming very, very soon. Sorry about that. I hope you enjoyed Howard there for a few minutes. Let me check the chat room. Anybody wants to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I don't know how long my battery lasts. Someone's asking me that in the chat. Um, It's not as long as it used to be. You know, it degrades over time. But I was using the computer without a battery, you know, setting up the show. Benford saying in the chat, why not have PokerStars clients set a random number between one or zero and a thousand after a player sits down and automatically purge any reservation attempts for five seconds. If the bot reserves below the random time, I, I, I mean, kind of, I, yeah, it can just say, I, I thought of the same thing in a simpler format. Just if somebody reserves a seat, that's too fast. Uh, don't let them. Or I, I think the best way to do it is just to keep track of how quickly Seats are reserved on average for each player, and anyone who is uh, grabbing seats next to another player, um, you know, within a breakneck fast amount of time on a routine basis, just ban them from the site. You know, it's going to sometimes happen on accident where you and another guy sit down at the same time, but you know, it's not going to routinely happen. Most time you sit, you're not going to be sitting a split second after someone else sits directly to the left. So anyway, someone asking, was that a uh, two liter bottle pee break? Actually, it wasn't a pee break. It was just a running to get the plug break, the power adapter. And yeah, I don't ever take beat breaks. I take no breaks here. Like, think about it. I, I do like a three or four hour show, sometimes five hours and no breaks. I just talk the whole time, no bathroom. I don't have a two-liter bottle I'm peeing in. There's really, like, no breaks. I have two bottles of water, a box of tissues, which uh, I use for various purposes. (laughs) That's it. Let's move on here. Bovada is the leading U.S.-facing poker room, legal or illegal. They have the most games. You want the most game selection? You need to go to Bovada. This is not an advertisement for them. It's just the truth. Bovada is the most active. This is Bodog with a different name, basically. And uh, in the rankings on PokerScout.com, and of course they're they're estimating Bodog because they're trying to... uh, Bodog Bovada is trying to prevent their exact numbers from being seen because they hate Poker Scout, but uh, their estimates are about uh, three thousand one hundred cash players, which is amazing, 
during uh, the peak and about 1,500 on their, on average. That's a lot of players. It's not like you know poker stars during the days when they took U.S. players. But still, that's a lot of players on who are actually sitting and playing at tables. The next biggest U.S.-facing network is Merge, but they have about 40% as much traffic as Bovada does. And uh, then it goes down from there. The biggest legal online poker room is Party Poker New Jersey with 390 players at the peak and 160 on average. So uh, about like you know, less than 15% the size of Bovada. So they're really the best option if you want to play poker in the U.S., yeah, there's a few things that are unpleasant there. You you play anonymous tables, so you know they could cheat there, and you'd never know. Be, you, know you can't track who's winning, who's losing. You can't identify fish that way. You have to kind of just sit at the table and figure out who's good and who's not. Uh, so there's a lot of problems there, and of course, uh, the customer service. Even though you can reach them 24 hours a day, there's a lot of incompetence of the customer service. It's it's very stressful to deal with Bovada's customer service. And that was one thing I didn't miss during the time I was away from there. Uh, But I will say that they are the best option of the U.S.-facing poker rooms if you don't have a legalized one in your state. Now, there's the matter of depositing and withdrawing. And believe it or not, it's actually tougher to get money on Bovada than it is to get money off there. Uh, They've always been excellent at cash-outs on Bovada. Always been really good. So they can do wires up to $9,500 for people in most states. They can send you checks once per week for up to $3,000. They do charge fees after you cash out more than once per month. But uh, the first cash out per month is free. And they're reliable, and they've been reliable for a long time, Bovada. On Bovada, if you win money, you can pretty much expect that you can really get it unlike a lot of other sites where it's either going to take an eternity to get or you will never get it, or the situation could change any moment from good cash-outs to bad cash-outs, like what happened on Lock Poker, which, by the way, has an average of uh, 28 players on per 24 hours. <laughs> so... Povada, unfortunately, and this is a PokerFraudAlert.com, not PokerStars, PokerFraudAlert.com exclusive. Bovada has done away with the ability to deposit Western Union. That's bad news. That's what I would use to put money on there. Western Union had a few advantages. Number one, they would cover your fees. So whatever fees Western Union would charge you to put your money on Bovada, they would return to your account. So let's say you put on $2,000 and you get charged $80 in fees. Bovada would give you $2,080 in your account. So you really would get one for one. For every dollar you spend on the Western Union deposit, you will get back on Bovada in your balance. So it was a no-fee deposit you'd be making. Also, the limits were, I wouldn't say really high, but uh, reasonable. In most states, they were allowing you to do Western Union transfers 
you know, deposits I'm talking about, up to uh, somewhere between $2,500 and $3,000 per seven days, which it's not a huge bankroll. Like if you want to play 30-60 limit or 5-10 no limit or 10-20 no limit, that's not a very good bankroll to have. Uh, but at least it's a starting bankroll, and if you run it up from there, then you're in good shape. And uh, if you really want, you can just wait seven days and do a few of them seven days apart until you have enough of a roll there that you're comfortable with. So Western Union was the best option. What are the other options? Well, you can use credit cards, but it costs you a 4.9% fee, uh, which is pretty obnoxious You know, to lose 5% on your deposits. Or you could do a MoneyGram, which is kind of similar to Western Union. They call it rapid transfer, but they only have a limit of $800, and they don't cover your fees. So for anyone who's a middle or a high-stakes player, Western Union was really the only reasonable option to deposit. And it's been there for a long time, and the funny thing was the procedure. So this is what would happen. You'd call up Bovada or Bodog, whatever, and you would say, I want to deposit with Western Union. And they would say, okay, here's the instructions. You're going to be sending Western Union, you're going to have to send it to them in, um, in U.S. dollars, even though you're sending it to the Philippines. Make sure it's in U.S. dollars. And you're going to be sending it to a name we're going to give you. Make sure to get the name exactly right. And once you've sent it, call us up and give us the money control number, which is kind of like your uh, transaction number. And we will verify that the money has been sent, and then we will credit your account. And make sure not to tell anyone at Western Union anything about Bovada or poker or gambling when you're sending this money. Which is kind of funny to think about, that they're actually telling you to go to Western Union and lie to them about why you're sending the money. I once had it where I sent it and they got suspicious, and I had to go through an interview process because they were afraid not that I was doing a gambling deposit. They were afraid that I was getting scammed by uh, some Filipino woman. And the story I gave them that I like made up on the spot didn't sound convincing enough. So they rejected it. So I went and did a second deposit at a different Western Union. And uh, when I got the questions from – and the questions come from the National Center, not from that uh, Western Union location. When I got the second round of questioning, I had a lot better story. Basically, I claimed that – I was Western Unioning my fa- my father-in-law, that my wife is Filipina and that uh, he needs money and that I've met him before and that uh, I'm really sure it's him and uh, that it's my wife's dad and that there's no problem. So they let that story get by. The previous story I gave them was that I met a girl in New York and that we've been uh, going out for a few years and that I'm sending her money in the Philippines. They didn't like that. So anyway, I felt weird answering those questions, but anyway. Western Union is no longer available as a deposit method. Now, something I always wondered about Bovada's Western Union deposit option was how they verify the funds so quickly. Because here you'd be sending money. It's always to a different name. It's never to the same name twice. It's always a Hispanic-sounding name in the Philippines. And that's what all the names sound like over there. But uh, you're sending it to some weird... Filipina, usually a woman. Once in a while, it's a man. Usually it's a female name. And uh, they verify it really quickly, like you know, within 15 minutes sometimes or less. And I thought, how are they doing this? How are they getting the runners down there to pick up the money that fast? 
And Bad Guy 23, who's usually kind of a comic relief character on this show, Bad Guy 23 is not part of any of our serious segments, but he actually provided some good insight, which I think is probably correct. I don't have a way to verify it, but I think he's probably correct. He said, and he knows a lot about uh, Bodog and Bovada. He's dealt with them a long time. He said that what's actually happening there is that there are some corrupt Western Union branches there in the Philippines where Bovada is also located. And that they've convinced these corrupt branches to accept these transactions knowing exactly what they're doing. So basically, uh, these names are made up. The Filipino women you're sending the money to don't really exist. They're just made up names. And these made up names uh, are names they have in these corrupt Western Union locations. And they know if money comes to those names that it's really a deposit to Bovada, at which point they just take the money for themselves uh, pretend like the person showed up to receive it and then forward on most of the money to Bovada and keep whatever percentage that they agreed upon. So let, uh, just hypothetically, let's say it's like 8%. So they, you know, they get your, uh, your $2,500 for, uh, you know, uh, 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 Maria Lupe Gonzalez. And there is no Maria Lupe Gonzalez who's going to actually be receiving it. And what they actually do is they sign off and claim that Maria came and got the money, but in reality they just keep eight percent of the twenty-five hundred, which you know in that case would be uh, two hundred dollars, and then uh, the remaining twenty-three hundred they would send over to Bovada, and that would be the way you would deposit. But of course, Western Union doesn't like this happening. Western Union has very strict rules regarding the way the money is handled. They, they don't like shenanigans like this. So I have a feeling that Western Union figured this out. Maybe someone even reported what was going on. Maybe like they lost on Bovada and were mad and called Western Union and said, hey, you know that 2500 I just sent? Guess what this was really doing? This is really funding gambling. This is really Bovada. I wasn't sending it to some Filipino woman. No, I was sending it to a gambling site. And maybe they got enough of those complaints where they put together that – these locations receiving the money were, um, I mean, you're not sending it to a, a direct location. So it's not like you're sending it to a Western Union, a certain city, but there must be certain locations that once they're informed, the money is there, claim the money was picked up at their location. So the thing is, they're going to have on Western Union, a record of these being picked up. And I bet they were all picked up in one of, you know, one of a few locations. So I have a feeling Western Union just clamped down on them. And, took away those locations, just told the uh, people running those shops, you're not Western Union anymore, goodbye. We're, we're removing you from our system. I don't have proof that happened, but from what Bad Guy described as to the procedure that they were using to get the money over there, which totally makes sense, uh, it would make sense that Western Union cracked down. Furthermore, I asked Bovada myself, um, I, I asked them myself uh, what happened and they would not give me an exact reason but they said quote there are a lot of restrictions from Western Union so that would make me think that what they mean by restrictions is that they killed the Western Union centers that uh, they were using for this so Um, also, I just, I'm just seeing this now. I should have read this before the show, but as usual, I'm going to uh, 
produce the show during the show. There's always at least one segment on this show or a part of a segment that I didn't realize I was going to do. And then during the show, I have to actually kind of pause and, and read something and figure out, you know, what I'm going to say during the show. That's a problem with having a live show. Uh, but I see on, on the forum, it posted at 11.52 a.m., so it's my fault for not checking that this, you know, wasn't updated here. Uh, thanks to Forum Wars, who posted a an article from an individual named Jim Quinn, who I've actually dealt with myself a while back. I'm not going to revisit this, but a while back, Bad Guy 23 claimed Bovada cheated him. And I actually took this to the OSGA, which is a it's a third party organization that helps mediate disputes between gamblers and sites. And basically the site agrees to be certified by this third party body. And then this way, this, you know, the OSGA has the right to question Bovada because Bovada is displaying their symbol. So there's a guy named Jim Quinn there who uh, looked into bad guy and his claims. And he only agreed to look into it after I told him to do so because if, at first they were refusing to do it because of bad guy's antics on this site, believe it or not, that they came back to bite him. But I said, no, 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 you know, bad guy's story, it seems, uh, you know, I, I don't know all the details, but it seems like something should be looked into. So he did. And at the end, I agreed that uh, Bovada was probably in the right, but I'm not going to revisit that. Anyway, Jim Quinn posted the following on October 2nd, which is kind of around the time that the Western Union option disappeared. Now, I used Western Union, by the way, on September 20th, and it worked. So it looks like I just got in uh, under the wire. But uh, this is what Jim Quinn wrote from the OSGA. We have heard from several players during the first few weeks of football season regarding problems with sending money to online sportsbooks using Western Union. The problems mainly revolve around money being sent to a correct name and location with the correct money control number, but the funds are blocked and in some cases have been held by Western Union. One member who is a longtime player online called in frantically with a problem that had never happened to him in 10 or more years of playing offshore. His Western Union deposit had been, bl- had been blocked and the name he was given was being investigated for fraud. The player was able to have his funds immediately returned. However, another longtime player had the same issue and his funds were held, quote, pending an investigation by Western Union. One player was even being told he had to fill out three different forms to even apply to get his money back after Western Union deemed the name he was sending to had been, quote, involved with fraudulent transactions, which I'm pretty sure is the standard code words that the home office has instructed field reps to use when a name is identified as receiving money for gambling. In addition, it feels like Western Union is going a bit above and beyond what they're required to do while erring on the side of caution that's pretty much blocking anything that has a hint of gambling and blacklisting the corresponding parties. We are not a lawyer. We are not lawyers, and therefore there's no specific reference to confiscated funds on the Western Union website. But from what we have been able to find out, Western Union cannot legally keep players' money. From what we understand, they certainly don't work too hard to refund it. But at some point, they have to. In searching the USGA database, every person who has had funds held by Western Union has eventually been paid back. So this pretty much agrees with uh, everything I've been saying here. Unfortunately, this is going to really hurt the games on Bovada. The games on Bovada are already getting tougher because the word's getting around to poker pros that, you know, there's action on there. So people go, oh, me might as well sign up. But I've noticed more pros there. And now you're going to have fewer fish because the fish can no longer deposit large sums of money. Sure, they can put on you know some money with a credit card, and they can put on money through a rapid transfer, and you know maybe some of the fish will even pay that five percent. But uh, you know fish, they don't like paying fees either, 
And sometimes a fish will not put money on a site if they see they're going to be dinged 5% for the, for the deposit. They just don't like it. It's funny how a fish is willing to play in a high-stakes poker game where they have no chance, but they do not want to pay a 5% deposit fee. But that's the way they feel. Not all of them, but some of them. So I think this is going to hurt Bovada to some degree, especially as far as how many fish are on there. And the funny thing is the numbers may stay up for a while because there's no way to identify who you're playing against. So there may be a six-handed game running that you want to sit in and play, that you're used to playing, but you may find that the other five players are all pretty good because these are probably guys who already had money on the site that have run it up and have the bankroll to play. But the fish who come there with new money, you're not going to see as much as that. I'm not saying it's going to die completely. You'll still have the credit card deposits. You'll still have the uh, money gram deposits, but this is going to really hurt things. So I asked Bovada, is Western Union ever coming back or have you given up on them? And I was told it may come back one day, but probably won't be before sometime in 2015, which, of course, isn't that far away, but uh, it could be a long time. It depends upon Bovada's ability to get around it. They've been using these tactics for many, many years, many, many years. This has been the standard operating procedure at Bovada with the Western Union deposits. So if Western Union has finally clamped down on it, and they're blacklisting any money being received by those corrupt Western Union offices that are uh, grabbing the money that's you know being sent for gambling and forwarding it onto the sites. Uh, two things happen. Number one, when they blacklist these sites, they can't be used anymore. And number two, they confiscate the money or you know block the money. I shouldn't say confiscate, but they block the money and then uh, it ends up back in the hand of the depositor. It doesn't do the site any good. So... This might be bad news for Bovada. But I will say one thing for Bodog, a.k.a. Bovada. They've always been excellent at finding a way to get around restrictions and difficulties in payment processing. Bodog, that company, is the master at payment processing. They are the best at payment processing. It's amazing how efficient they are at it, how Black Friday didn't stop them, how... uh, they just keep on processing transactions. I mean, here you can get wire payouts. You can get check payouts. They're quick. They rarely bounce. They've really got it down pat. They're very, very experienced in payment processing, in and out. But this is a big blow to them. They're going to have to find a way to replace it. And right now, there's nothing comparable. So bad news. Take a look at the chat room. Uh, Forum War is saying... Just found this. Western Union to date already has 8,600 agent locations across the Philippines. So there's a lot of Western Union locations in the Philippines. So he's saying that uh, maybe this is good news that Bovada can just keep cycling around these different locations. But they have to find people willing to do it. They, they can't just get any location to do it. They've got to find locations that are willing to do this and locations that they know will actually pay them and not steal the money, which I heard also has been a problem, that uh, some of the locations were just stealing the money. Of course, Bovada wouldn't continue working with them, but you know, Bovada doesn't have an endless source of these locations, so maybe they tolerate some stealing without making a huge deal about it. Lord Mikon asking, why do they not have player-to-player transfers of Bovada? That might come soon, and it will help 
you if you're a pro player and you want to get money from other pro players to get on there, but I, I it's not going to help Fish get on there. Fish do not know anybody to transfer the money. Why don't they have it? I never figured that out. Never figured that out. I think they believed that by not allowing player-to-player transfers, it uh, cut down on money laundering concerns and that the government wouldn't go after them as vigorously. But the truth is, Bovada, they're offering sports betting, poker, casino games. They're doing it all. They're already pissing off the government. The government already hates them. So I don't think player-to-player transfers would be the straw that broke the camel's back and made the government go after them more vigorously. The government already wants them. They did tell someone I know, uh, someone who plays on Bovada regularly that ran bad and chunked off all their money there. It's, it's tough on Bovada because it's hard to put money on there. So when you run it up, you've got to figure out exactly the amount to cash out to where you don't overcash out and then risk busting your account. But at the same time, you don't want to leave too much money on there. Like in case there's some kind of, you know, let's say the whole thing does get shut down and your money's stuck forever. So like, uh, or if someone hacks your account, or there's a lot of things you, you don't want to ever leave too much money on there, but you don't want to leave too little money on there when it's hard to deposit. But anyway, uh, someone I know busted their account and they're saying, I really wish they had player to player transfers and, and called them up and asked, Hey, why don't you guys have this? And they said, we're actually considering it. We may add player to player transfers, but we have to hear from a lot of players that they want it. I also think that Bovada is not doing it because they want it to be a recreational player site. They kind of tolerate pros, but they don't like having pros there. So they know that player-to-player transfers makes it easier for pros to get on, but not really rec players. So I think that's another reason. Um, Crow Diddley asking, Bovada offers people different lines based on betting history, right? That's a good reason not to let people throw money at other accounts to make bets with different prices and betting limits. I don't know about that. I, I just think they have a low, relatively low limit for everybody. My limit on Bovada is 500, meaning I'm talking about for sports betting. I can bet anything up to 500. Uh, or I can bet more than 500, but my winnings cannot be more than 500. So like if the line is minus 200, I can bet 1,000 to win 500. If the line is uh, plus 200, then I can only bet 250 to win 500. So 500 is the magic number. Now, beyond that, I am allowed to place a bet, but then they have to manually review it and decide if they want to take it. And they usually decide this based upon how much action has come in already. So if there's, they, ideally, in the sports book, they want equal action on both sides so they can guarantee a win you know, with their juice. So let's say there's a, a lot more action on one side or the other. If I go on the side that has less action, they're happy to take a lot of extra action from me because it helps them. So uh, they manually review that if you go over 500. There's a weird quirk there, and it's kind of annoying, uh, where if you have already bet on a game but you haven't reached your limit, let's say I bet $10 on a game uh, uh, earlier today. And then I say, okay, now I want to bet more. Now I want to bet 700. So if I try to bet 700, it'll say, no, you can't. All you can bet is 490, and there's no way I can get that manual approval thing done. It's just, you know, I can bet 490, period, and that's it. No more. But if I haven't bet at all yet today, then I can bet the 700 and they'll look to you know either approve it or deny it. That's the kind of a quirk in their system. Uh, someone asking, why are there no Bitcoin on Bovada? Why can't you have Bitcoin as a deposit method? Uh, they may consider that. They may consider that. I think they just haven't found a need to use Bitcoin yet. And I think they don't want to hassle with the Bitcoin fluctuations and having to hassle with uh, – you know, selling the Bitcoin as soon as they get them. And I, I, can, I can see where they don't want to bother with it if their other d- deposit methods have been working fairly well. But maybe they will if the Western Union never comes back. 
Shiz Money saying Bodog used to change the lines on certain players, like Super Nitty with it. Uh, Bodog used to, but Bovada's just happy for the action. Yeah, I never had lines changed on me. I, I'll tell you a story with uh, Bodog. Uh, back when Wong teasers were winnable, Wong teasers are uh, NFL teaser bets that uh, had a high enough line to where if you bet certain teasers with certain uh, specific lines that you could give yourself a big edge over the house. I used to do that, and Bodog was the best place to do it. And you know you could really get a big edge over them back in the day, and I did. And they never they never lowered my limits. They never did. I don't do it anymore because they lowered their lines for everyone on teasers. The teaser lines are now too low. They they got wise to the fact that people were doing this, and uh, they didn't punish anybody. They just uh, lowered the limits for everyone to where it's not worth it. Google Wong teasers if you want to read about them, but they're kind of extinct now. There's really no books that are reliable that offer Wong teasers at the proper lines. So people are saying in chat that they've changed uh, odds for certain people, and I I wouldn't put it past them in the past, but uh, I don't see Bovada doing that. I haven't seen that happening. So something to watch, the Bovada situation. Well, speaking of Bovada, good segue here. I've been trying my hand at NBA sports betting. I got the idea for this because I'm a fan of the Lakers, and obviously I'm not uh, very happy this year with the Lakers. That's an awful team. And uh, But I know a lot about the team. And uh, they actually won tonight against Detroit, who's another terrible team. But... Um, You know, I said, I have a feeling that the Lakers are, the two things are going to happen with the Lakers. First of all, I don't think the the people who make the lines are realizing how bad they really are. And number two, I think they don't realize how bad the defense really is for the Lakers, and the over will probably be a good bet on a lot of the games. Well, I was right about one of those two things. Uh, Indeed, the over for the Lakers uh, has done pretty well. It's it's won 10 times out of 16 games. Uh, I think it tied twice. I, I think it lost tonight, so I think it's uh, 10 and 7 now, the over. But uh, against the spread, they're actually 9 and 8, despite the fact that they're uh, 5 and 13 now in their 18 games. I beat the, they beat the spread today, so I guess they're 10 and 8 against the spread. Uh, but whatever, uh, the Lakers kind of got me into the sports betting because I started looking then at all the other teams and uh, trying to establish patterns as to uh, when games, you know, when there's a, a soft line where you can get on the right side of it. Now, the way sports betting works for a lot of you that don't know, uh they establish a line in two ways. First of all, there's a line on the game because you know if the teams aren't matched evenly, they give points to a team. So like a, if, if uh, Team A is better than Team B, 
Team A is going to you know, have a handicap of a certain number of points. So they're, if they think the Team A is going to beat Team B by six, then it's called Team A minus six. So like, let's say with real teams here, let's say uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing uh, the Orlando Magic, and uh, they decide the Cavaliers are a six-point favorite. So if you bet on that game at minus six, the Cleveland minus six, and you bet on Cleveland, uh, Cleveland would have to win by seven or more for you to win the bet. If they win by six, you tie. And if they win by five or fewer or they lose the game, then you lose. So that's how it's done. And over-unders, the way that's done is the total number of points scored. You add up you know, both teams' scores, and that's the total points scored. You can bet on that, and uh, you know they set a line for that, and uh, you choose over or under. And it works the same way. So I was focusing more on the over-unders because I started noticing a pattern. I started noticing that when two teams that don't play very much defense play each other, the game usually goes over. And I'm talking about this year. Uh, I noticed that if a team that typically doesn't play defense and runs up a big score plays a team that is a very defensive team, that usually goes under. And, uh, and then I broke down a number of other configurations of that and came up with a little system, which is kind of a guide to me to take a look at certain games. And then from that list of games and from my, what my system picks, then I look at the teams themselves, how they've been doing, a bunch of other factors you know, specific to these teams and these games and how they've been playing and you know, who's in, who's out. And then I determine, do I actually want to bet on the game that my system picked? So that's what I've been doing. You can find – there's a big thread on Poker Fraud Alert called the Official Flying Stupidity Wagering Thread, and it's actually in uh, the Flying Stupidity Forum. It's like 25 pages. It's like a running thread where people post their picks, not just in basketball but in all sports. I even bet on a, uh, a CFL football game in, uh, with the Calgary against Hamilton in Canada, something I knew nothing about based upon a tip from Hockey Guy. And even though it got off to a 17 nothing lead, it lost. <laughs> so that's, that's the end of my CFL betting career. I lost uh, 770 bucks on that. But uh, all my bets have been around the 700-something dollar range for the most part. Sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. But that's mainly what it's been. Mainly focusing on the over-under, sometimes on a spread where I, I just feel a, a team is going to win and beat the spread, though that's more based just upon uh, observation rather than any kind of system. How have my results been so far? Well, I've only been counting the games I've really bet on, and sometimes I won't bet on a game I really like just because I couldn't get a line on Bovada that's equivalent to the official Vegas line at the moment. Like, I I don't want to bet on a game, even if I like it, if the Bovada line is a half point or a point worse than what is being given in Vegas at the moment, I just feel like I'm losing value. Uh, those games that I haven't bet that I wanted to bet have actually done very well, which is kind of disappointing. Though the one today, there's one today I wanted to bet and didn't, and it lost, and that was the Oklahoma City. So I'm glad I didn't do that one. But but for the most part, I've done pretty well on those ones that I wanted to bet but didn't. On the ones I actually did bet, my record right now is 15 wins, 13 losses, and two ties. So I'm a little bit above 500, but not that much. In order to show a profit, uh, and this is only if you get the standard house juice of minus 110, meaning they're keeping 10% juice, meaning like you'd have to bet uh, 770 to win 700, you have to win 52.38% of the time. 
Now, taking away the ties, my record, I've won 53.57% of the time. So I'm right, right around there. So I'm not exactly making bank here. Uh, I actually had a negative record of, uh, I think, uh, like 9 and 11 at one point or something. I, I was down a little bit, you know, under 500, but I've done very well recently. Today I went 2 and 1. But um, I still believe that uh, some of these over-unders are fairly easy to predict. And I'm feeling it along as the system, as a as the season's moving along. And by the way, as the season moves along, the books get smarter too. So sometimes early in the season is when you can take advantage of soft lines. And once the books notice these trends, they adjust and start fixing the lines to where you can't take advantage anymore. So I, I don't even know if this will last the whole season, but uh, I'm still noticing lines. For an example, uh, when the Lakers played the Minnesota Timberwolves recently, the line for the over-under was 213 points. And I thought that was a ridiculous line because these are two teams that absolutely don't play defense. They're terrible defense on both teams. Absolutely terrible defense on the Lakers and the Timberwolves. So I said this is going to be a, a huge high-scoring affair. And indeed, uh, 239 points were scored in the game. The line was 213. So it, it was a blowout win. Easy win. So ones like that. Uh, an over-under I did today that won was uh, Atlanta and Boston. Boston, another terrible defensive team. Atlanta, a team that uh, typically scores and allows a lot of points. Uh, Boston, even to more of an extreme. I thought you put those two together, you're getting a lot of points. The line was uh, started out 209.5, moved to 211. I still took it at 211, and I won. It, it didn't win by a whole lot, but it won. And it was on pace to easily win, and just at the end slowed down a bit and got closer than I, I would hope, but it, uh, it still won and was never in that much danger of losing. So things like that. There's been lines I've seen where I really, really like the over-under, especially the overs, but sometimes the unders too. And I, I think I could do well enough in that to beat the 52.38% that I have to win. If I had to win like you know 60 or 70%, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's pretty much impossible to do on any kind of long-term basis. Short-term, anything can happen. I mean, you can, you can go... Uh, See money, for example, with a wormhole. I think when eighteen and one is that NFL bets. <laughs> so anything can happen short term, but uh, long term you're not going to pick. You know, seventy percent. Any any handicapper online who says, "Oh, go with my picks," I win seventy percent. He's full of crap. And even if he tries to show you proof, it's BS. Or it could be seventy percent last year, which you know is not long term. But we'll see how it goes. This is mainly for fun. I am, as I said, I'm betting seven hundred something dollars each game, which makes it to where it is enough money to where I don't just shrug it off and say, oh, who cares? Like it's money to where I go, oh, cool, I just won 700 bucks. But uh, it, it's not so much where it devastates me and I, I feel like I've lost a ton even on my bad days. So like you know, if I go 0-4, 0-5, which I haven't done yet, but if it happens, uh, I don't feel devastated like I just lost a fortune. So that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll report back. If you want to see my picks and follow along, look at that thread, the flying stupidity wagering thread. I just... Keep in mind, I'm not claiming to be the second coming of Haralabob Vulgaris. I'm not a professional sports better. I, I don't have any uh, big edge. I'm not doing tons of mathematical research on each game. Uh, I, it's mainly for fun, from my own observations, from my own noticing of certain patterns, from my own feelings of whether the games are going to win or lose or go over or go under. And we'll see. I might just be yet another delusional sports better who thinks I know the way the games are going to go, but eventually uh, variance catches up and I'm pretty much uh, a 500 better. So we'll see. Too early to tell, but uh, 
if you want to follow along, do it. I, I see people who are copying my picks and bet on them, and yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I just just don't be mad at me if it loses. Don't be mad if I steer you the wrong way because I'm I'm just doing this for fun and I'm posting it so just everyone can see what I'm doing. So. Yeah, um, let's go to uh, next topic here. And yes, I've been betting on Bovada, which also is easier because I play poker there too, so I have a bankroll there to bet, to play. And I know they can cash me out, at least for now. Well, uh, here's a site that may not cash you out, and it's not even one of the illegal sites. It's actually a legalized, regulated site, and it shows you that even with legalization and regulation, there's still a lot to watch out for. And the, the, the regulations have to be very strong to prevent things like this. And I, this is an unbelievable thing that's happening. Uh, it was brought to my attention by Duped Samaritan. And this is what's going on. Let me uh, go to this story here. This is in the scam, scandals, and shadiness part of our forum. This is from the Terms of Service of the Golden Nugget New Jersey Online Casino. Use of any betting techniques that we deem in our sole discretion to circumvent the standard house edge in our casino games is strictly prohibited. This includes, but is not limited to, any attempts at card counting or progressive betting systems. For example, Martingale Progression, Paroli System, Dale Lambert System, Parley System, etc., or other irregular play. Irregular play includes but not as limited to any one of the more of the following types of play. Even money bets with bonus money on sick bow, craps, roulette, and baccarat. If the gameplay on your account indicates you are using any betting techniques we disapprove, in our discretion, we shall immediately block the account and retain any funds in said account. What? 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 So they're saying, we're going to steal your money. We're taking your money. If we don't like your betting patterns. Now, what do they mean by betting patterns? Well, let's start with Martin Gale, what they're talking about. Uh, Martin Gale progression. Um, I actually realized the Martin Gale system before I even had heard of it when I was a kid. Um, you know, when I'd be like dealing blackjack to my brother just with a deck of cards at home. And uh, we'd be betting for like fake points or whatever. And, um, you know, my brother was dealing to me. I thought, oh, I know a good system. I'll bet one point, And if I lose the next time, I'll bet two points. And if I lose next time, I'll bet four points. Then if I lose the next time, I'll bet eight points. Eventually, I'm going to win one of these. I'm not going to lose every single time. And if I just keep doubling my bet every single time, this guarantees that when it's over, I'll, I will have won. As soon as I have one winning hand, I win. And then I just start over and go back to one. And think about it, this the way it works. You know, you bet one, let's say it loses. Okay, you're down one. You bet two the next hand, now you're down three if it loses. You bet four the next hand, now you're down seven. But if you bet eight the next hand and you win that one, now you've won eight going against the seven you already lost, and now you're ahead by one. So then you go back and bet one again, and you just keep repeating this. So when I was a kid, I thought, wow, this is, this is like a foolproof way where you cannot lose. And it is true that if you have unlimited funds, and I really mean unlimited where you really can bet up to infinity that yes, this would prevent you from losing. But the flaw in Martingale is that eventually there could be such an improbably bad losing streak 
that you'll go bust. So it's kind of like what I call the reverse insurance. With insurance, you uh, you pay a little bit to prevent a catastrophic loss, and even though uh, um, you know, even though you may end up losing in the long run, you're, you're basically paying a little bit, and you'll never lose huge. Such as you know, fire insurance for your home. Your home may burn down, but uh, uh, you'll never lose huge as long as your home is insured for fire, because uh, no matter how much home, your home is worth, the insurance company will pay to have it rebuilt because you're paying your premiums every month. So this is the reverse, where basically you're guaranteeing yourself almost a small win, but if you go on some horrible losing streak of you know, 20 or 40 in a row, whatever, uh, you could end up losing your entire bankroll in an attempt to win very little. So that's Martingale, and that's the reason they have limits at casinos. That's why there's limits at a blackjack table. That's why they never make the, the blackjack limits too high compared to the lower limits. So uh, you usually won't see limits from like two to 5,000. You'll see tables with like two to 400 betting, and then you'll see tables with like 100 to 5,000, but you won't see two to 5,000 very often, and it's to prevent things like Martingale. Uh, but the truth is here, first of all, they can defeat Martingale just by putting those limits in. And, and second, Martingale is not a winning system. It's a losing system. You're still, no matter what you do with betting systems, you're still always playing at a disadvantage in house games. So it's still a losing betting system, provided you don't have literally unlimited funds to keep betting, which you obviously don't, especially if it's an online casino where they can restrict how much you can bet. So even if they do spread two to 5,000, even there a Martingale will eventually fail. And if people do that, eventually you will have the guy that Martingales from two to 5,000 and goes through a, a horrible losing streak and busts his account and lose all 5,000. So the scary thing here is that they're saying that if you bet in a way that they don't approve of, if they, if they detect that you're betting in a way they don't like, they're just going to take your money. Now, I especially don't understand how they could do this because they are not allowed to do this anywhere in any real casino. In Nevada, for example, it is disallowed to card count by casino rules. The casino does have the right to kick you out. They have the right to say never come back. They have a right to tell you you'll be arrested and actually arrest you if you try to come back when they tell you not to. But if you're, car- if you're caught card counting, they cannot arrest you there. If you're caught and they haven't told you not to come back, all they can do is tell you to leave and they can't take your money. Even if you want a ton of money and they know you did a card counter, even if you say, hey, yes, I'm a card counter, they have to cash you out. The only way they can keep your money in a live casino in Nevada is if you're actually caught cheating. Card counting, no, they, you act, they have to cash you out. Now, in New Jersey, it's even more favorable for card counters. They're not even allowed to kick out card counters in New Jersey. And this is where this casino is. This is an online casino in New Jersey. Card counters are allowed to count in New Jersey. All the casino can do is take measures to make it harder for them to count, such as shuffling early or things like that. But they cannot say, don't come back to this casino, but you're card counting. They're not allowed to do that in New Jersey, and they definitely cannot take your money. But somehow, this online casino for Golden Nugget, New Jersey, claims they will take all your money if they just don't like the way you're betting. So even if you just think of this yourself, like I thought of the Martingale thing without even knowing the name of it or what it was. I thought of this as like a 10-year-old playing games with my brother with a deck of cards at home. 
So it's not hard to imagine that recreational gamblers will think of this as well. Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll just bet one. Then if I lose, I'll bet two. Then I'll lose, I'll bet four. Then I'll bet eight, eight and 16, 32. I've got to win at some point. That's not a complicated way of thinking. That's not a concept you have to be a genius to invent. If a 10-year-old thought of it on his own, then obviously recreational gamblers probably have as well. And supposedly they will take your money if you do that. Now, I don't know of any instance of them actually doing it, but that's in their terms of the Golden Nugget New Jersey online casino. So the question is, if this happens and you go to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, what will they do? Well, they should force Golden Nugget New Jersey online casino to give you your money at the very least. In fact, if they're held to the same standards as the brick-and-mortar casinos, which I believe they should, they can't even ban you for this. It's also possible that these terms are copied from another gambling site that that uh, you know, same company managing it, whatever it is, once ran, and they don't realize it's uh, contradicting what is in New Jersey law. So, uh, let's see here. As usual, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We, I, at this show, I, I don't like to just bitch about things. I like to actually get answers. So we're going to get some answers. We're going to call their support. Thank you for calling Golden Nugget Casino. My name is Amy. How can I help you? Oh, yes. Yeah, so my name is Alvin Finkelstein, and uh, I'm, I'm calling about uh, some terms of service that um, I, I see that are in your uh, your casino here, the Golden Nugget uh, New Jersey Online Casino. Um, I, I have a, uh, a client. His name is uh, Martin Curacao, and um, he he was going to play in the casino. I, I'm his attorney. Uh, he's concerned that there are terms and conditions in your casino that are in violation of New Jersey law. Can I can I read you the terms and see um, you know, what you have to say about that? Well, I couldn't speak to the legality of the terms and conditions, Mr. Finkelstein. We have counsel that writes those. Okay, well, that's that's fine. But is it true that if people bet in what's known as a martingale system, meaning like, you know, you bet a dollar, then if you lose, you bet two dollars, and if you lose, you bet four dollars, and if you lose, you bet eight, and you keep doubling until you win? Is it true that this is not only disallowed on your site, but that if anyone's caught doing that, that their account will be closed and their money will be confiscated? Because this is what it says in your terms in Section 7.2. I'm not – I don't know what that means. Can you look into Section 7.2 of your own terms and see it? It's right there. It says in Section 7.2 of your terms, and this is I've, – I've looked it up. This is against New Jersey law. That, that players who are caught card counting will have their, um, their money taken from them, which is also against New Jersey law to do. And also if they do a martingale betting system, which is what I just described, where you just keep doubling your bet until you win, that that's also against the rules and you'll be, your money will be taken from you and you'll be banned from the casino. And this is against New Jersey law, and I was hoping to bring it to your attention before I have to make a, an official complaint to New Jersey Gaming. Well, all the terms and conditions on our site 
are approved by the Division of Gaming Enforcement, so they're aware of our terms and conditions. So I'm, I'm trying to understand how would you be allowed to confiscate and take people's money for card counting when card counting is legal in the state of New Jersey? You're actually you're allowed to walk into a card into a casino in New Jersey. For example, I could walk into the the Borgata and sit down at a, at a table and say, "I'm a card counter." And I'm going to card count now. And not only can't they take my money, they can't even kick me out. That's the law. There's a landmark law that passed in the 1980s related to that. Card counting is legal in New Jersey to where they're not even allowed to ban people. So you're actually saying you're not only going to ban people, but you're going to actually take their money. And furthermore, if you don't like the way they're betting, if they're betting in patterns you don't like, you're also going to take their money, which is worse than just a ban. You're actually taking, in my opinion, stealing their money. So there's no way the Department of Gaming Enforcement could have approved this. If, if it got by them, it got by them. But the, if this is brought to their attention, there's going to be big trouble. Well, I mean, I'm a customer service rep for the casino, sir, and I can't speak to the legalities that are stated in the terms of service. All I know is that is how they are. That is how they're written, and the Division of Gaming Enforcement is aware of them. So, so now, as a customer service rep, have you been trained to tell people that if they engage in card counting that you will take their money? No. But it says that in your terms. Um, it's section it's 7.2. It's called cheating. I can cheating. see that. I can see where it says that. Yeah. So that's kind of strange, right? It's, um, shouldn't the customer service reps be trained to tell people that if you card count that you're uh, – or if you bet in a funny way that they don't like that we can actually not just ban you but actually steal your money? Like that's that's pretty severe. The, 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 only, the only case – that it's allowed to take the player's money if there's actual cheating, such as uh, manipulating the system um, or, or you know, using electronic devices to, uh, to, to you know, actually cheat, not just bet in a way they don't like or, or, or count the cards. That's, that's always been the case in New Jersey since the 80s. Okay. Well, when you know that when, when people create an account on our site, they have to agree to the terms of service. So if you're saying that your, your, customer, your client created an account on our site, he agreed to these terms of service when he created the account. Okay. Well, let, let me say this. Let's say you bury in the terms of service uh, section 50.1. Um, if, if you bet $101 on any hand, uh, we have a right to take your firstborn and shoot him in the head. Do you think you would have the right to go then take that person's firstborn and shoot them in the head even if they agreed? Sir, I'm just I'm just telling you how the terms of service are but, uh, written. Okay, what you I'm telling you is the, I'm tell, to create I'm, an account on our site. No, I'm, what I'm saying here is you cannot have illegal elements in a terms of service. A terms of service, when even if someone agrees to it, if it violates the law, then it becomes null and void. It, terms of service can only be uh, valid if it does not violate existing state or federal law. And this well, this not, violates state and federal law. Then I guess you would have to bring that up to the Division of Gaming Enforcement. So, so you're telling me that that's that's the what I have to do is if uh, if you'd rather I make a complaint to the Division of Gaming Enforcement than uh, than have your company look into this. What I'm bringing to your attention. I mean, I'm going to make it aware. I'm going to make my manager aware of what you're telling me. But um, as far as I'm, I'm aware, as far as all of us are aware, the Division of Gaming Enforcement has to agree to our everything that goes on our website, the promotions the terms of service, the privacy policy, the responsible gaming stuff. Everything has to go through the Division of Gaming Enforcement before we're allowed to put it on the website. Okay, now wouldn't you think what I'm describing here about the you know, conditions that can take people's money since this is non-standard and in fact contradicts uh, New Jersey brick-and-mortar law, uh, wouldn't you think this would be an important thing to train the reps such as yourself to understand and, and tell the players when they call in? 
because this, this is a very important thing. to. This is a pretty severe action that could be taken. Well, I guess we rely on our legal team to look into things like this. No, I'm just saying when the players ask, what what if I called in and said, hey, I'm I'm uh, thinking of betting a dollar and then two dollars and then four dollars and then eight dollars until I win. If if I hadn't told you about these terms, you probably would have said, yeah, fine, go bet what you want. But in reality, I would be violating the terms of service. And I'm not blaming you personally because you know you weren't told about this, but obviously you didn't know until I brought this to your attention. Well, I don't study the terms of service. Well, I'm saying this is a big thing, though. This isn't like some stupid thing buried that in the fine print that's never going to come up. This is this is a pretty big deal to confiscate people's money over the pattern they bet. So I, if I'd like to make a suggestion here, I think you should take it to your manager, show them, and say that they really need to uh, consult with their attorneys and make sure this complies with uh, New Jersey lobbies. I can guarantee you it does not. And I'm, I'm actually um, probably going to be submitting a complaint tomorrow. Okay. Um, do you want to give me your contact information, and I can give that to my manager? Um, yes, yes. So my phone number is – my name is Alvin Finkelstein. Uh, my phone number is uh, area code 775-372-8355. Okay. And you were – that? Uh, um, you said you were a lawyer of a client on our site? Yes. What is his name? His name is Martin Curacell. It's spelled like the country. C-U-R-A-C-A-O. Yep. You're a good speller. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's one of my hobbies, actually. Um, Okay. So I will tell him that you called. Uh, His name's JR. He's going to be here tomorrow. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for your time in this matter, and I hope that's, um, you know, hopefully nobody's money has been confiscated yet, but it's important your your company understands, you know, what the law is and that this reason for confiscation is uh, is not legally valid okay i'll let him know that you called sir okay thank you so that's interesting uh <laughs> we'll see if he calls me back i guess i'll have to stay in character that's obviously the radio phone number i gave i i, I can receive calls on it and, and please don't bother me on that phone number off this radio show i usually don't answer calls that aren't during the radio hours but i'll answer this one if the guy calls me. So, interesting stuff. And we shall see. We shall see. Let's see what the chat room has to say about that call. She's actually pretty cool, says Limitless. Sensei Cree says her manager is useless as well. Sur- supervisor of customer service equals makes $15 an hour and uh, could not care less. Yeah, that's actually true. Uh, Benjamin's mom used to work customer service many, many years ago when she was much younger. And uh, she said that usually the supervisors were just people on the same level that just say they're supervisors. So they say, let me speak to your supervisor. All they do is hand it off to the next person or sometimes a more senior rep that doesn't have any more power, just maybe someone with more experience. Uh, since I've heard that from her, I actually ask, is your supervisor someone on the same level as you, or is it someone actually supervising you? Is it someone on a higher level? And if not, can I speak to someone on a higher level? And sometimes they still lie to me, but sometimes they say, oh, okay, you want a manager, and they give me a manager. So, anyway, if you're a good speller, maybe you should call up and uh, try to get that girl back. And uh, if you live in New Jersey, maybe she'll want to go out with you. 
Of course, I'd watch out though. Customer service reps, female customer service, not just female, actually all customer service reps are known to be notoriously obese. And I don't, I don't just mean like a little bit overweight. I'm not talking about women who, you know, might carry an extra 30 or 40 pounds. I'm talking about ones who are carrying like an extra 200 pounds. I'm talking about women who don't get changed for their three bills. JSTAT saying I should call the New Jersey Gaming Commission. I, I should, but uh, I, they're not going to answer the phone at 9 o'clock. Actually, maybe they will. No, you know what? They're probably 24 hours. I should. Uh, I wonder if they... I mean, you think they would answer because it's... Uh, the game is run 24-7. Let's look this up. Let's look this up. New Jersey... I may not get anyone that meaningful, but let's see. I mean, might as well report this. It's the truth. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm not making prank calls here. Let's see. New Jersey Casino Control Commission. I, I hope that's the same ones as the uh, Division of Gaming Enforcement. Now, how do you contact them? How do you contact them? Uh, I wasn't planning on this. That's why I'm not ready. About the commission. Blah, 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 blah. No, I can't find the phone number. Well, someone find that phone number for me, and I'll try to call them. Put it in the chat room. I'll try to call them and report this. see here. A Division of Gaming Enforcement page I'm looking at, but I, I don't see any phone number. I see the number for a gambling problem, but not a problem with their rules. Well, if somebody can come up with it, then let me know. Let's see what texts I've gotten in the meantime. To 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355. Raw Wolf wants to talk about gold and silver for 10 minutes. I don't really feel like talking about that on that sh- this show. Uh, seven three four texts us. Have a good show, Druff. I'll be listening to work tomorrow. Eight seven zero says, "Hey, Druff, I saw you were giving NBA betting a shot. I have my ninth NBA bet of the year, Magic plus twelve. That's Orlando, uh, five and three on the year. I sports bet for side income. Hit fifty four percent long term. Long time lurker. Good luck. All right. If you if you really have fifty four percent long term, you're pretty good. Seven five four saying Judok for co host. <laughs> we already tried that." Uh, 619 area code. F- fuck you, Devils. Fuck you, New Jersey. Fucking cold cut mainlining Iraq driving fuckers. Someone who does not like New Jersey. 762 area code saying happy Thanksgiving. They sent that on Thanksgiving. Another person uh, from the 941. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thank you to both of you. And uh, that's it. That's all we've gotten at 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show. All right, here's a phone number that uh, Dupe Samaritan found, the New Jersey Casino Control Commission, arcade building, arcade building, what are, they like play- are they like playing Pac-Man in between calls? I'd like to be in the arcade building. <laughs> arcade building. I'm telling you, like as a kid back in the 80s, you told me something in the arcade building, I'd, I'd want to be there all day. The person whom you're trying to read. What is going on here? Let's try. That's not right. That's not right. Let me try again. Skype is so strange. I think it didn't like that I put dashes. Here we go. Skype is so finicky with everything. Hello. 
thank you for calling the New Jersey Casino Control Commission. Now she sounds sexy. Wow. Our Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh-oh. We're closed on and off state holidays. No, she should. I wonder if this girl doubles as a phone sex, phone sex operator. Wow. I did not expect that voice. I expected, thank you for calling the New Jersey Gaming Commission. If you have a complaint about a New Jersey gaming matter, please leave a message. I kind of expected like a Ben Stein type to, to uh, do that recording. You know, that that's what I expected. I, I did not expect that voice. Uh, this is really what I expected when I called the New Jersey. Uh, what? That's, not, that's not what I expected. Uh, this is what I expected when I called the New Jersey Gaming Commission. Bueller, 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 Bueller. Here, Bueller. <laughs> Let's hear that again. I want to hear that voice again. Hello. Thank you for calling the New Jersey Casino Control Commission. Our normal business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We are closed on weekends and all state holidays. Many of your questions about... We are closed on weekends and all state holidays. Okay, I sound gay when I do it, but you know what I mean. As double saying, good evening, I just tuned in. Who is that call to? Desert Explorer saying, Druff is going to hear that voice when he spanks it tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's hard for me to spank it to hot voices because I, I got to see what the women who work on party lines really look like. I, I've been down to some offices which are used for, uh, not party lines, I, I mean uh, phone sex lines. Party line girls can sometimes be pretty hot, but uh, at least back in the day. But uh, phone sex line girls, uh, pretty ugly. Pretty bad. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Dupe Samaritan, for bringing that whole thing to my attention. We'll see if uh, Alvin Finkelstein gets a call back. Well, moving from New Jersey to Nevada, Real Gaming is uh, running a poker room, a legal poker room in the state of Nevada. And they are trying to grab the customers that were once on Ultimate Poker and now no longer have anywhere to play because Ultimate Poker has shut down. You know, the the large crowds of people that were exclusively playing on Ultimate Poker, the thousands of people that were displaced when Ultimate Poker had its untimely death and now are saying, where can I play online poker? What can I do? What shall I do with my time in Nevada when I cannot play an ultimate poker? Yes, all 13 of those people are wondering that. Well, Real Gaming has decided they're going to try to capture that very large market. Uh, Real Gaming, in case you're wondering, is uh, affiliated with uh, the South Point And they were supposed to be the first to market. They were the first ones who said... We are going to have a legalized online poker room in Nevada before anyone knew about Ultimate Poker. They were supposed to be the first one. They even had a way to apply to go work there, and yes, I did that. 
And they they were supposed to be the first before WSOP.com, before UltimatePoker.com, and then it just didn't happen. It just dragged and dragged and dragged and dragged. What is the South Point? Well, the South Point is exactly what you might think. It's a hotel casino that's all the way at the very southern point of Vegas. It's the first casino you reach in the Vegas area uh, if you're driving north from California. So when you pass to the Nevada state line, you do reach the crappy casinos in Prim, which is the state line little, I can't even call it town, but the little area of the state line. You go past those, you reach Gene, Nevada, which has been there forever, that has uh, only one casino at the moment. But then past Gene, there's nothing uh, until you get, uh, I, I guess technically the M is first, but uh, South Point is really the first thing that's there at the, uh, I wouldn't call it the Strip, but it, it's really the first thing you encounter in the Vegas area. So they call it the South Point for that reason. No one really goes there except for uh, people who are cheap and just want uh you know, cheap rates to stay in Vegas at an okay hotel, and uh, old people like the South Point, apparently. But uh, the South Point is running real gaming, and basically nobody's playing on real gaming. It's, it's a failure, as you might expect. They came into the market too late. They just started, like, last month. And on Poker Scout, real gaming has a whopping... Seven players online in their cash games at its peak. <laughs> How many cash players do they have on average? Seven is the peak over the last seven days. How many players do they have in their cash games on average? One. <laughs> so <laughs> someone literally playing with themselves there. So that that's what a bad that's how bad of a shape they're in over there. I mean, talk about entering the market late. <laughs> so real gaming is attempting to make something of themselves by offering this to ultimate poker refugees. It's called the ultimate match promotion. And uh, what they will do is they will match your balance that you had on ultimate poker up to 3000 and uh, it's actually like a deposit bonus. Uh, basically, you, you have to deposit that amount and then um, they will match it up to that. But uh, you can't just go deposit and cash out double. Uh, you have to play a whole lot through and, and you know, get it distributed in $10 increments. Uh, basically, it's 20% rake back. It's, it's a fancy way of saying 20% rake back, which isn't that great. Uh, for every $50 that you contribute in rake, they will release $10 of your bonus. So it, it's not as good as it sounds. They also won't just give it to you if you claim you have that money. You have to s send them a copy of the ultimate poker check you got when it closed. Uh, no word on whether or not uh, they will accept a copy of a check you, re you requested shortly before it closed, as I did. But it doesn't matter because I'm not going to play on there. But... Uh, the maximum they will match is 3000 but all they're really doing here is saying we'll give you 20% rake back up to $3,000 total in rake back if you can show you had that much of a balance on Ultimate Poker. So it's, it's a stupid gimmick that's really just 20% rake back, which honestly isn't that exciting. And honestly, 
what they should be doing is just offering a blanket 20% rake back for some time to get some people over there. They're, they're, they're making it way too complicated. Like they're, they're making the same dumb mistakes Ultimate Poker made. Ultimate Poker was circling the drain. Ultimate Poker was, was rapidly losing traffic. And instead of addressing the issues that were making the traffic go away and instead of having really innovative and exciting promotions that might draw people back there and draw new customers there, uh, they were just doing business as usual or the promotions they had were not very exciting and nothing that would really bring people in. So, I mean, ultimate poker, I mean, not real, real gaming here, they're putting you through all these hurdles. You have to show them a copy of the last check you got and, and uh, you know, then you, they only get $10 after every $50 in contributed rake. It's, it's, it's a big mess. Why not just say, look, for the next three months, we're giving everybody 20% rake back. Done. They can do it. It's legal. Why not? Would they rather rake nothing? I, I don't understand them. If I ran this thing, I'd be giving 50% rake back, 75% rake back, just, just to get people over there and then lower it as time passes. They don't know what the hell they're doing there. <laughs> I would not suggest taking advantage of this promotion because uh, your money will just sit there. You're not going to be able to play anyone. There's nobody there. At the peak, there's seven players online. All right, let's talk about another poker room that is supposedly going to get going. This is uh, Michael Mizraki is going to be starting a poker room, a Bitcoin poker room. Uh, He had an interview with writer Lee Davey, who writes for CalvinAir.com. CalvinAir, of course, the founder of Bodog. And a lot of times people read things on CalvinAir.com and they think they're actually reading stuff written by Calvin Air, especially because Calvin Air's Twitter account, which I don't think he operates, is always tweeting the articles that uh, are on that site. So, you know... Calvin Ayer, you see his picture there. He tweets about a certain article. You click on it. You just assume it's written by him. It does say the name of the author, but it's not very prominent. So I, I think this is on purpose. So you kind of feel like you're reading things that Calvin Ayer is writing because you know, he's a known name and people respect him. Now, Lee Davy has been around for a while, and Lee Davy has done a lot of poker articles. In fact, he did a lot of writing about uh, lock poker and other issues. Lee Davy interviewed Mike Mizraki, the grinder. Now, Mike Mizraki has represented a lot of different sites. He's been a full tilt pro. He was a lock poker pro, honestly, for way too long. He stayed for far longer than he should have. Uh, he even got in a dispute about representing some some failed poker site that, uh, that they were going to sue him, and he was actually in the right on that one. I know Mike Mizraki. He's not a friend of mine, but we know each other when you know we see each other around and we say hello. Um, I played with him in the early days on Poker Stars back when I thought he was a fish. Back in like '03, but uh, Mizraki got better and he really found his calling in tournament play. His style of play is much better for tournament poker than cash poker. Uh, I don't even think he's a cash winner, but in uh, tournament play. Uh, as you've seen, he's had a lot of uh, impressive results. He made the November nine. Uh, he's he's won he's won a, I think at least one bracelet. I don't know if he's won more than that, but uh, a lot of big tournament wins a number of years ago. Uh, he's not been very responsible with his money, but 
when I first met Mike Mizraki, just from the way he looked, I thought he was going to be an arrogant dick. He just had a look to him like, oh, this guy is so arrogant. Like I, I just looked at Mike Mizraki and I'm like, I'm not going to like him. I bet this guy's a total dick. Uh, but then when I actually met him, uh, he was a nice, soft-spoken guy. I actually liked his personality a lot. So, uh, you know, he and I have always gotten along. We've never had any disputes. Uh, whenever we see each other, as I said, we're friendly. Uh, he's not my friend, and uh, I, I wasn't happy with him staying with Locke as long as he did, though I can tell you some of it was ignorance. He just, basically, he'll stamp his name on anything and doesn't give a crap, and then uh, he should give a crap, but doesn't. He's like, oh, they're going to pay me this? Cool, I'll, I'll give my name to that. And then he doesn't really realize how that causes people to lose money if the company he's representing isn't honest and he doesn't quite make that connection I'll tell you that Mike is very generous to people that are in his life Uh, there's a lot of he has a lot of groupies including Chino Ream by the way people who have sponged off of him for a long time especially when things are going well for him and and he's been very generous to those people he's paid off their debts he's he's done a lot of nice things for for his friends uh, he's an unselfish guy. He just he kind of lives in his own world, and in a way, you know, Phil Helmuth does the same thing, and this and so does Phil Ivy. This is not an excuse for them doing things that are irresponsible or, or that end up harming others. But uh, these are not people who who really are setting out to cheat anyone. They just uh, they live in their own little bubble and and don't think enough about the consequences of everything they do. But anyway, uh, here's Mike Mizraki's plans for running a poker room. If you remember, he also uh, was uh, the Planet Hollywood poker room was uh, associated with him for quite some time. So this is what Michael Mizraki had to say about uh, opening up his own poker site. He said, I've decided to make my own luck. I'm opening my own online poker site. We will have a few pros on there. It will be called GetLuckyPoker.com. <laughs> Get Lucky Poker. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's not a bad name. It's just uh, to, to poker pros, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds corny. But I guess maybe to the average player, especially the average Asian player, maybe uh, re- recreational player, that is, maybe it'll sound good. Get Lucky Poker. And we will be using Bitcoins. Hopefully that works. We will have Badesi, Baduki, Deuce to Seven, as many games as we can get up on there. Hopefully it will be up before the beginning of January and it's going to be exciting. I also have the online poker dealer school for anyone looking to have a great job and get into the dealer side of things. So I, I, he's going to teach you how to deal online poker. <laughs> no, he's, it's an online school of poker dealing is what he means, not an online poker dealer school. But that's really what he said. He said uh, online poker dealer school. It's called... MizrakiDealerAcademy.com. Yeah, that's not a tough name to enter as a URL. Most people don't even know how to spell Mizraki. Most people cannot spell that. It's, it's M-I-Z-R-A-C-H-I. It's not obvious. MizrakiDealerAcademy.com. Not, not very well thought out. Why not just like Dealer Academy or Vegas Dealer Academy? Something easy. It's the first online dealer academy, so that's pretty cool. I have a few other things in the works, but these are the main two businesses right now. I don't know about that second one, about the Dealer Academy. I mean, I guess they're going to have videos of, of how to deal, but you got to think this is something that's better done in person. But maybe it'll work. Uh, regarding who's helping him out with the poker site, we have a few guys behind us, the brothers 
meaning his brothers, and a few other pros. Luis Velador, Mike Matisau, and a few other guys. Interesting. Uh, do, then he's asked, does getting into the world of cryptocurrency phase you? He says, we're all gamblers. We aren't afraid of losing. We all think that Bitcoin will rise up. It's new to me, but I will take the risk and feel like it has a good shot to be a success. So I, I guess he's going to run a Bitcoin poker room. By the way, he has. Uh, he says in the interview, quote, I have an expensive lifestyle and three children. <laughs> That's actually true. Uh, but what's interesting, at the end he says, I'm always worried about money. When I become a multimillionaire, I won't worry about money because I will put it to good use. So he says, when I become a multimillionaire, which means uh, he's not one right now. Before he had his big tournament run in, in 2010, and by the way, I played with him late in the main event in 2010 when I did well, not as well as he did, but when I got to 88th and he made uh, the final table. I think he went out ninth like Newhouse did. Uh, no, wait, what was it, ninth? I, I don't remember what he got, but it's somewhere in the final table. But anyway, um, he was really in financial trouble that was made public at the time. But then he won his bracelet that year. I, you know, he won the uh, the Poker Players Championship. He, he went to the final table. He was really uh, huge in the 2010 World Series and uh, supposedly got back on his feet. But uh, when he says, when I become my multimillionaire, that probably means he's bust again. But he's right. He does have an expensive lifestyle. I remember uh, seeing him fire off a ton of money in blackjack. Just, you know, sitting in the pits firing. So, anyway. Uh, he's apparently going to run a Bitcoin poker room that is U.S.-facing, so U.S. players can play on there. Unlike this stupid, uh, what was this one called? That's uh, We talked about that. Uh, it's backed by Ted Forrest and other people. I, I don't even remember the name. <laughs> People kind of talked about it for a second and then forgot about it. Uh, what is it? I'll tell you in a second. That one won't run in the U.S. That's uh, Breakout Gaming, that's it. Breakout Gaming won't run in the U.S., which is especially laughable. This, this one has a chance running in the U.S., but uh, the truth is, kind of like the Nevada online poker market, I think the Bitcoin market is already saturated by you know the few sites that there are. There just isn't enough interest in Bitcoin poker right now. The reason there's not enough interest is that Bitcoin still does not appeal to the masses. It's a lot more popular than it used to be, but it still doesn't appeal to the masses. It's intimidating to a lot of people. A lot of people don't understand it. They think it's weird. They they uh, you know uh, they think it's tough to, to convert money into Bitcoin and back and forth. Uh, they're nervous about Bitcoin jumping up and down so quickly where it can lose half its value in one day. You know, nobody likes these things. I shouldn't say nobody, but the, the average Joe does not like these things. So I think Bitcoin poker, I think Bitcoin has a future as an option to deposit into poker sites and to cash out from poker sites. I, I'd be thrilled if Bitcoin were used for, you know, mainstream sites like Bovada to cash out and, and deposit. I think that would eliminate a lot of the hassle with getting money on and off the sites. It'd be great. I would love it. But I, I don't think for the average recreational player, it's going to do a lot. I think there's the core group of people who understand and like Bitcoin that would uh, would use it, but uh, beyond that, I don't think it has mass market potential. But anyway, Mizraki's starting it. Apparently, he's, he's not afraid of uh, any legal ramifications. Uh, but if he's broke, I understand that. If you're broke and, and you're looking at a way to get money, it's sometimes worth taking the risk of maybe getting in trouble for running something like this. Uh, it's, it's of my opinion... 
that uh, you can get in big trouble for running a Bitcoin gambling site. But we'll see. I mean, if, if I didn't think that, I would run one. I would run one myself. But I, I, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> I don't want to be arrested by the, the, the DOJ one day. So it's not worth it. Especially because I don't think it's going to ever be huge. I don't think Bitcoin poker will ever be huge. So I don't think the upside is enough. But you know, but if you're broke, then uh, it, it's not a bad thing to do. Because there's a chance that uh, there will never be any kind of significant bust for this. Or uh, if, if they bust you, you won't see any prison time. I mean, look, you don't see Howard Letterer in prison. You don't see Chris Ferguson in prison. So you know, it's, it's possible that you get away with it. Uh, someone in, in chat saying no fraud protections in Bitcoin. That's true, but if it's just used to deposit and cash out, then uh, it's okay. Uh, that, yeah, that's an inherent flaw in Bitcoin, but if you just use it you know, as an option, people can deposit and cash out with it at, at these poker sites. I think that's, uh, that's I think it's a useful additional option for people who know how to use it and uh, would enjoy doing that. And would like doing that to get around the hassle of otherwise depositing and cashing out. Like, think how easy it would be a Bovada if you could just get your money anytime in Bitcoin or put money anytime on there with Bitcoin. That'd be great. I don't think it would be used by the mass public, but I think for people like me, people like you, the listener, I, I, th- I think you'd love it. So, anyway, we'll see what happens with this. I, I predict it's going to be a fail site. I think the market's already saturated in Bitcoin poker sites, and I, I think the future, if Bitcoin doesn't completely crash down and, and become an afterthought, if, if Bitcoin kind of holds around where it is or remains as relevant as it is right now, uh, I, I think the future here will be poker sites accepting it and then Bitcoin-only poker sites will kind of fall by the wayside. Like once Bovada accepts Bitcoins, then Bitcoin-only poker sites are not as interesting anymore. But we'll see. We will see what happens. Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Remember him in Rounders? Rounders, before we get to Edward Norton himself, Rounders was a good movie. I don't know any poker player who did not enjoy Rounders. I did not see Rounders until after I started playing poker. I saw it in 2001. Rounders came out in 98, and it was about a subject that most people did not know, poker. And people knew poker, poker existed, but they did not understand the world of professional poker. They knew of poker as just a game that, you know, mostly shady people play with one another. And uh, you can play it in Vegas. They know there's something called Texas Hold'em, but they don't really understand it. And that was about it. That's what people knew in 98. So you wouldn't think that a movie would be created about the world of professional poker in the year of 1998, but it was, and it was very good. And it even had some realistic elements to it. It had, of course, some theatrical, phony elements that could never occur, like when uh, uh, Mike McDermott was able to tell everyone's hands by just you know walking into the room <laughs> and telling them what they're holding. I mean, unless you could see their whole cards, uh, there's no way to really do that. So they were overestimating, you know, they were overstating Mike, McDermott's abilities, but uh, it was a good movie. Even the climax was good against uh, Teddy KJB, KGB and uh, the Oreos and everything like that. 
Unfortunately, there have been a lot of poker movies since Rounders, all of which have come after the poker boom started in 2003, and they have all been terrible. They have all ranged from bad to horrendous. And even ones that seem like they are of an interesting subject, such as Runner Runner about the online poker cheating, uh, it wasn't. The movie sucked. They just cannot do these movies right. Even some of these uh, were written by the same guys who did Rounders, and they still sucked. Uh, there was a TV show called Tilt on ESPN in, I think, 2005, written by the guys who did Rounders. It also was not very good. It started out semi-interesting, but then it uh, it descended into ridiculousness. It it turned more into a uh, a crime drama than anything really about poker, and the poker scenes are pretty dumb, too. So they just can't get poker right in the movies or on TV anymore when they're creating you know fictionalized dramas. And strangely enough, the only good one was before the poker boom. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that since the poker boom, everyone is too focused upon making the fictitious poker you know, that you see on TV or in the movies too similar to what they think the average watcher of poker TV on TV wants to see. I think the poker boom and the popularity of poker and poker being on TV has influenced the writers of these poker movies to basically dumb them down. And when they dumb them, da- dumb them down, they actually make them dumb. I mean, that's, and to where nobody enjoys them. To where even the people who are uh, looking for a simple movie don't enjoy them. I-, I think the fact that poker was not mainstream and there was no what they saw as a large crowd to appeal to then they were able to write something that's more true to the way the actual poker world was, and then they created a good movie. It's like what they tell comedians. When comedians are training and trying to develop material, they always tell comedians, don't try to make jokes about things that are not really in your life. So, you know, don't talk, don't make jokes about working in a restaurant if you've never worked in a restaurant. Even if you've, you've been in a restaurant and you've seen funny things there, and you think you know what restaurant employees were thinking and doing and you want to make jokes about it, don't put that in your stand-up act unless you've actually lived it. Write what you know. Joke about what you know. Don't try to extend yourself to things you don't know uh, because it's a lot tougher. Uh, The same goes for writing movies and TV shows. It always helps if you have an intimate knowledge of the subject and you really should write it as if you're writing it, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about appealing to a mass audience. Now, at the same time, you don't want to make it too technical to where only a very small percentage of the people watching will understand it. But you shouldn't be obsessed with dumbing it down or making it simple enough uh, or attention-grabbing enough to appeal to what you think the mass audience wants to see because that's when it ends up being crappy, okay? And that's what's been happening. They, they write these dumb scenes in that they expect that the people watching poker on TV are going to want to see in a movie and the whole thing ends up terrible. That's what's been happening. So I'm afraid that Rounders 2 being written in the era of poker boom and post poker boom will suffer from the same problem. And even if it's written by the same guys, these guys have written a number of uh, bad uh, poker movies and TV shows to to where I'm not... I'm not convinced that they are going to actually uh, produce something good because they've already blown it in some other ways. 
Uh, I'm talking about uh, Brian Koppelman and uh, David Levian, two, two Jews, of course, who wrote Rounders. So, yeah, they wrote Tilt. Uh, what else did he do? They did uh, Runner Runner, which was awful, and that was, you know, as recently as 2013. Uh, they've done some really mainstream stuff like uh, Ocean's 13, which wasn't bad. But, uh, you know, they wrote Tilt. So you may say, oh, wow, the, runners, the writers of, round, of Rounders, it's Rounder 2's got to be good, but they also wrote Runner Runner much more recently. But anyway, here's an interview with Edward Norton on David Letterman talking about the possibility of a Rounders 2. <laughs> now, listen, uh, whenever your name comes up, I think of two things. Uh, one, the, the great movie, Rounders. Tremendous film. Thank you. And, and I just now heard, which I don't believe, possibility of a second Rounders. I don't know how you make a second Rounders. Is there a possibility of it? I, I think there is a possibility of really? it. I think, uh, yeah, we... Um, we couldn't have had more fun making that movie. That was that was one of the best gangs of people ever. Yeah. Uh, and and we did it right on the cusp of of what became the kind of the resurgence of the poker phenomenon. And I think um, you know Matt and I talked later. We we should have negotiated like a five percent you know rake on every poker pot that was played after that because then then we could have made the made the film with our money um but the 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 movie actually uh created a a new enthusiasm for the card game i I think it did i i think i think it was a part of it for sure um and certainly some guys like chris moneymaker when he won the world series said he started playing poker because he saw the movie and i i i literally stopped going to vegas for many years because so many people were scream worm. Oh yeah, I say yeah. worm. You know, um, yeah, that, that happens to me, and I wasn't even <laughs> in the movie. It's it's the oddest thing. But never mind. You, you mean they scream worm? They scream worm. <laughs> there he is. That get him. It's worm. That has that has to do with a number of other things. other things. Yeah. yeah let's don't get into them. Uh, and the other thing that we always talk about when your name comes up. Is- okay, so let's not talk about the other thing when his name comes up, but. Uh, so he's saying it's a possibility, uh, not that there's any specific plans in doing so, but he's claiming it's possible. So he said, uh, uh, yeah, there's a possibility of it. Didn't go into more about whether it's going to happen, but there's a possibility of it. So maybe there will be, but it would be kind of a shame if they ruin that good and now kind of modern classic movie with something that's crappy. And I could easily see that happening. I could easily see it where people say, yeah, Rounders, see the first one, but don't don't watch that awful second one. I don't know if they can recapture the same mood. It's, it's one of these things that uh, now that poker has become mainstream, it, it's harder to write something that's good like Rounders. It's hard to forget what you've seen. It's hard to forget what you think the audience wants to see, even though they don't. It is interesting... I didn't know that Chris Moneymaker said that he started playing poker because he saw Rounders. So if that really is true, uh, Chris Moneymaker really was a big part of the poker boom taking place. That and and the televised hole cards. So uh, that really did have a big influence indirectly 
on the poker boom, if that's true. So we'll see if it happens, but that's Edward Norton saying it's a possibility. Of course, it doesn't mean that much. Yahoo Poker, that probably doesn't mean much to you either. Yahoo Poker is going to shut down on December 31st. Yahoo got the attention of the poker world about a month ago when they launched a game called Texas Hold'em and advertising it heavily on their fantasy football page. So they thought that if they were doing this, if they were really pushing their poker, their free poker site on uh, the fantasy football page, which is a a very popular and well-used page, that they were really trying to build up the, the poker product. And some people are thinking that maybe that would eventually mean they would enter the legalized online poker market at some point. And they, they actually did have an online poker room. It wasn't available to U.S. players. They actually had a skin on the old Cryptologic network that wasn't available to U.S. players. That was about uh, seven years ago. But uh, it, it never amounted to much, and it faded away. Uh, Yahoo is doing away with it, though. Despite the fact that they just started it recently, they're doing away with it. Uh, if, if you go to its, uh, the Games Help page on Yahoo, it says, In January of 2014, changes in, su- in supporting technologies and increased security requirements for our Yahoo webpage has made it impossible to keep the games running. Following these technological advancements, the old parlor games were incompatible, insecure, and no longer functioning correctly. So it says they're going to bring back some of those games they're going to shut down, but uh, they're shutting down uh, all the ones that are called the classic Yahoo uh, Parlor games. But uh, that they have to meet the technological standards. I I don't know what they're concerned about. I think they just don't want incompatibilities. They just want the whole uh, system running on the new platform is what I think is happening. Uh, They don't say they're going to bring back the poker specifically, just they may bring back some of the games at some point. Uh, However... When uh, the PR manager of Yahoo Games was asked about why they were removing some of these games, including poker, he just said it was uh, being done as part of efforts to streamline our product offerings and focus our energy and resources on developing for Yahoo's core experiences. So uh, it's, it's also possible they're just giving up on that, and they're just giving up on the whole poker thing. So Yahoo may really have nothing to do with poker. Now, Yahoo... I don't know if you guys remember this, but Yahoo hired a CEO two years ago, two and a half years ago, named Marissa Mayer. Uh, They did kind of shake up the company. The company, Yahoo is really one of the first big internet companies. I remember using them in 95. Uh, They were uh, really one of the first big web pages, first web pages that people who originally got on the web would go to all the time. But uh, since then, they, they've lost a little bit of relevancy every year. And even though they had some very successful years in the 90s and early 2000s, they just they got less and less relevant and they didn't keep up with the times. They always seemed like a site that was kind of 90s and early 2000s and never really broke out of that. And even other sites like uh, eBay and Amazon, which still have the look of an t- early 2000s site, uh, they managed to update their offerings or, or stay relevant in some way where they, uh, they're still huge sites. But Yahoo, uh, they've really fallen behind in a lot of ways. Uh, they hired in 2012 Marissa Mayer, 
she was only uh, 37 at the time. And, and they were trying to get people's attention, and I guess it worked, by hiring a pretty female. Because, you know, she, she even posed in a bikini in various pictures after she was hired. But uh, uh, this was someone who was definitely hired for her looks and the fact that she was female. They, they wanted to hire someone who was attractive and female. And everyone would go, oh, look, wow, a, a CEO that looks hot. You know, when do you ever see that? Like there's female CEOs, but they're usually like in their 50s or 60s and the, no one you'd ever think is hot. But this is a hot female CEO. And um, before she was there, she was actually a, uh, a spokesperson and an executive at Google. So she did have uh, relevance in the industry. But uh, I still didn't think she was really qualified to be CEO there. And she, she's tried various things at Yahoo. She, she did try to reform them in some ways. And uh, one of the things that Yahoo has been doing is uh, they've been looking at areas of their site that just aren't making them any money and aren't going anywhere and getting rid of them. One thing that she got rid of was Yahoo Chat. Yahoo Chat was something I used all the time in the 90s and the the 2000s. Uh, I met a lot of women through Yahoo Chat. I I had a lot of sex thanks to Yahoo Chat is the truth. But uh, Yahoo Chat was shut down because it wasn't making them any money. And in fact, it actually was a source of embarrassment for them at one point when uh, pedophile rooms were found on Yahoo. And the pedophile rooms had sponsorship stuff above them because you know the sponsorship stuff was shown in every chat room, including the user-created the user created rooms. So like uh, you would go into a room like uh, older men for preteen girls 8 to 12. There were really rooms like that there that people created. It would say sponsored by Pepsi. So, like, Pepsi would find out about this, and they, they were furious. The, you know, Pepsi and Sprint, the sponsors at the time, were absolutely furious that they were, quote, sponsoring pedophile rooms. So they immediately yanked their sponsorship, and it was a big embarrassment for Yahoo. But they actually kept the chat rooms around. They just eliminated the ability to create custom rooms. Uh, but, but by then, nobody wanted to sponsor it. They never got any sponsors after that. So the chat kind of just hung there as, as a free service there that didn't really make them any money. And it was a huge headache. People harassed each other. People booted each other off. People wrote programs to screw with other people. In the ch- it, was a, it was a disaster. And uh, uh, the reason the chats were good was that uh, you could go into local rooms and chat with people around you, which you know, is unusual in this day and age. So if you want to meet women who live close to you, it was a great place to go where you go in a regular chat room. They're all over the country, all over the world, and you know, meeting them is not easy. Uh, unless you luck into finding somebody near you. So uh, that, that was a good thing about Yahoo, but the chats also had a lot of flaws. And eventually, uh, you know, Marissa Mayer said, hey, <laughs> this isn't making us money. All it's doing is it's a liability. Uh, it's getting people angry. It's uh, making people feel harassed. Uh, screw it. Like, what? this has no future, and they got rid of it. So uh, this is, I, I think, along the same lines. I, I think they have realized the poker product and the rest of those classic parlor games they call them are not really going to make them any money and they don't want to focus their efforts there so they're they're just dumping them and and probably the other part is true that they're not fitting in with a new platform they developed with the uh, the increased security model and to retrofit them to to fit in there probably isn't worth their time and effort so i i think yahoo's just giving up on poker i also think it's possible 
And this is, you know, they're eliminating a bunch of games, not just poker. But I think the fact that they may have lost interest in poker, and keep in mind, you know, they were advertising the poker pretty heavily on the fantasy football part, which is a very successful part of their site. So they did have, they were bullish on the poker at one point. I think they're dropping the poker because they have seen things like ultimate poker. They're seeing that the legalized online poker market is not some giant cash cow and that most of these sites are losing money. And that the ability to make money is uh, you know, it's going to be tough, and, and then you're opening yourself up to a lot of problems. A lot of people who will be unhappy that you're offering gambling, that you're a gambling company now. You, you're opening yourself up to a lot of controversy without a lot of upside. So I think Yahoo is pretty much saying, screw it, we're not going to go in the casino business. No online casino business for us. And it, it might actually be a good decision. So after December 31st, Yahoo Poker will shut down. And uh, you can kiss goodbye all your play chips there. I, I doubt anyone listening to this show plays on Yahoo Poker, but you never know. Let's take a look in the chat room. Um, X Factor saying in chat, Yahoo makes some money because they own a lot of other domains and websites. That is true, but they do buy some websites uh, that are big failures. That they, It's not nearly worth their money. A lot of times they try to buy sites uh, to try to compete with other similar sites that are doing very well, and then they just screw it up badly. So, uh, Lou Father asking me uh, privately, Druff, what's your ICQ number? <laughs> sorry, sorry, Lou Father, if I'm reading your private messages to me. But, uh, yeah, I had an ICQ number at one point. In fact, I was one of the early users there, so I had a really low ICQ number. I was proud of that for a while. ICQ was actually developed in uh, Israel, and it's, re- it's called ICQ. In case you don't know what that is, it was an early instant messenger, uh, kind of very early form of text messaging. But uh, ICQ, it stood for I seek you, I seek you, and then there's just the letters ICQ. Desert Explorer in chat saying, Druff, made, Druff met a lot of trannies in Yahoo chat. <laughs> Well, uh, I didn't meet them, but there were a lot of trannies in Yahoo chat. I don't know why, but the Nevada Yahoo room had by far the most gays and trannies of any state by far, especially gays. I mean, you could say the trannies make sense, but uh, um, a much higher gay population in the Yahoo rooms than in the Yahoo Nevada room than any other state, including California, which of course has West Hollywood and San Francisco. But, uh, you know, California, all the other ones that have, you know, a small percentage of gay people, the Nevada room is boy with their full of gays there. Good share of trannies too. So if, if you're into that, that was the right place to be. Anyway, let's get to the next topic. Oh, uh, I shouldn't have waited so late on this one. Let's, let's act quickly on this, and then we'll get to our editorial, and then we will shut this down. Ken Scaler, I asked him about the Wendy's girl that he called Loveline about and claimed there was a cashier at Wendy's that he had a crush on and didn't know how to ask her out. He called up uh, Loveline when guest band AFI was in studio, and they all advised him on what to do. Uh, we called that Wendy's last week, and the manager there told us that, uh, or told me, that there are no female cashiers. 
that work at Wendy's, and she couldn't figure it out. That particular Wendy's, the only one in Northridge, the one he was talking about, Northridge, California, there's only male cashiers. The only female cashier works in the drive-thru, and he definitely wasn't talking about the drive-thru because he does not have a car. So I was like, hmm, is Ken really gay? Was this girl he was talking about really a guy? But no. I asked Ken about this, and he said that this was on a Sunday night, and it's actually one of the managers there who sometimes works as a cashier when they're short, and... I assumed it was a white girl, and she actually said there's no white girls that work at that Wendy's, which also confused me, because Ken is really into white girls and really not that much into other races of women. That's just like, it's not that he's racist, it's just that's what he's into. And I, yeah, I'm the same way, too, by the way. Uh, but uh, Ken, I assumed it was a white girl if he's going to call up Loveline and, and gush about her, but it turns out she's a Middle Eastern girl, which I guess, you know, demographically is considered white, but uh, I guess the manager didn't think that was a white girl. But or whoever I spoke to. I wasn't the, the person I spoke to last week was, I think, the acting manager at night or something, but it was a Hispanic woman. Definitely wasn't the one Ken was talking about. But I'm going to call back there, see if they'll answer the phone at this Wendy's. I think they're open till 11. Maybe 10. I better hurry up. I'm going to call Wendy's in Northridge and ask, now that I have a little bit more information, find out about this uh, Middle Eastern manager who sometimes works as a cashier. She, uh, Ken says she looked in her mid-20s. So I guess you don't have to be too old to be a Wendy's manager. But we will call up the phone number and see if we can find out more information, see if she's interested in dating our own Master Kent Scaler. I'm going to try to play matchmaker here. The sequel to last week's call. They're open till one, actually. Wow. Open late. Will they answer the phone? That's a different story. They did last week, but it was earlier. Not looking promising. It sounds like they just picked up the phone and hung it up. They're like, damn it, this person won't go away. They're letting it ring 20 times. So, of course, we have to call back. That was totally like the pick-up, hang-up thing. Like, I've done that before when I'm having sex and the phone rings. I'm like, damn it. I'm talking like a home phone, not like a cell phone. It's going to go to voicemail. So I just like do the pick-up, hang-up thing, get rid of it. And then like leave it off the hook after that. Here's a Wendy's review while it rings from Yelp. Yeah, hi. I called last week about that guy who was on Loveline. Are you the one I spoke to? Are you the one I spoke to last week? I called a week ago and and asked about a a woman who works here that a a guy called into Loveline with Dr. Drew and and talked about her. Um, Were you the one I spoke to? I'm sorry? Were you the one I spoke to about this or not? No. Okay, okay. Who am I speaking with? Okay, uh, um, I, I'm calling from uh, Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Uh, my name is Todd, and uh, I'm calling this particular Wendy's because uh, on the show Loveline, are you familiar with it with Dr. Drew? With Dr. Drew Pinsky? Loveline? Have you heard of that um, show? 
What I'm gonna tell you, the um, the store manager, I think he will be here tomorrow. No, it's not about the manager. Uh-huh. I, no, I don't want to speak to, the, speak to the manager. I actually want to – there's a, a certain employee here. She didn't do anything wrong. It's actually a guy called into Loveline, and he said that he has a crush on one of the female employees here. And he, he said it's a Middle Eastern girl who sometimes works the register like on Sundays, and he said she's, she might be a manager there. Do you know who I might be, I might be talking about, or might it be you? I'm the Middle Eastern one. So. Oh, you're the one? Okay, so, so I, I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. if you go on YouTube – and okay. and you can listen to this call. There was a five-minute call on Loveline, which is a nationally syndicated show with millions of listeners. And you were spoken about. Now, he didn't describe you. I, found, I, I know the person who called, so I asked him about you know, who he was talking about and which Wendy's it was. And uh, um, you know, I felt I should make you aware of it because you were talked about indirectly. You know, your name wasn't mentioned and you weren't described, but it was you he was referring to. And it was basically a guy who comes in here who, who thought that you were very attractive and he wanted to find a way to ask you out, but uh, he was too embarrassed to do so and he didn't know how he could do so. So uh, first of all, are, are you even single? Yes, okay. You're single. Okay, I'm, don't worry, I'm not committing you to – I know this seems weird. I know this is a strange thing, but I'm really telling you, you can uh, – I'm going to tell you on YouTube how you can find it. The call's actually up on YouTube. This is a different radio show calling you and uh, uh, right now. But on YouTube, if you type in um, – uh, you want to get a pen and paper, you can actually listen to it uh, talking about you. It was a nationally syndicated yeah. show with, with, uh, with millions of people listening. Okay. You ready? Do you have a paper? Yes. Okay. If you type in Ken – you know the name Ken, K-E-N, space, scalar. I'm sorry, K-E-N? No, K-E-N, Ken. K-E-N? Yeah. And then scalar, that's S-C-A-L-I-R. I'm sorry, can you slow down? S-C-A-L-I-R. O-I-R? L-I-R. S-C-A-L like Larry, I-R. Scalar. Okay, scalar. And then, and then space, love line, that's L-O-V-E-L-I-N-E, love line. I'm sorry, L-O-V? L-O-V-E, the word love, and then the word line. Love line. Okay. All one word. And then space... Okay. A F I. That's A like Apple, F like Frank, I. If you type that, you'll see the first video that comes up. If you click on it, it's about five minutes, and it will be talking about. Uh, as I said, it doesn't give any information about you. It doesn't. It says Wendy's in Northridge, but it doesn't describe you, so no one knows who it is. I just found out by contacting the guy who called a little more information, and uh, found out it was you. So you are single now. I will tell you something, though. The individual who called about you, uh, he's a little bit older. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he said you're probably around mid-20s. Uh, is that true? Okay. Uh, wait, is that a compliment? Are you older than mid-20s? No, I was just laughing. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm good. No, are you older or younger than mid-20s? Or are you at mid-20s? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the 20s, yep. You're, you're in your 30s or 20s? 20s. Oh, 20. Okay, well, okay. he got it then. So he said you were mid-20s. And he said, uh, but he's he's a little bit older. He's uh, he, he's uh, like early forties. So is, is that uh, is that out of your range as far as who you would date? No, no, it is my range. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, good. We're in good shape. Okay. Uh, okay. Now he's he's a, a a tall white guy, and uh, he has he has a beard and kind of uh, uh, and, and long hair. Do you know Do you know have any idea who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, now. Uh, should I tell him to come back 
into the Wendy's at some point and, and talk to you some more and see if you have any interest in him? <laughs> no, he can't do this now. You guys are not supposed to do this. I mean, he's not supposed to put anything on YouTube about myself. No, he didn't put he, no 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 he didn't put anything about you. No, it wasn't on YouTube. This is what happened. He called into a radio show called Loveline. It's existed for like thirty years. That show, and mm-hmm. he called in. It's a, a show where you call up and a, uh, a psychologist named Doctor Drew uh, gives you love advice. Okay, so he called up and asked Doctor Drew and, and a band they had that was a guest in there. It's a very big show. He asked them, uh-huh. hey, there's a girl at Wendy's that I know that works there that, uh, you know, I don't really know her. I just see her, and I think she's very attractive. I w- she works at Wendy's in Northridge, and that's all he said about you. He didn't describe you. He didn't say anything about, about you, but she's very attractive. I want to ask her out, but I, I don't know how, and I'm afraid to. I'm afraid it'll be inappropriate, and, uh, you know, so what should I do? How, how can I get any idea that she may be interested in me? And that's basically what it was for like five minutes. You can listen on YouTube. But he didn't – your name is not up there. There's no picture of you. Uh, he doesn't describe you. Uh, the only reason I know that you're Middle Eastern is he told me personally, you know, not on the air. So that, that's how I so know. how he knows that I'm Middle Eastern. Uh, he, just, he just guessed it from your look. Uh, he just got it from my look. Yeah. So – but uh, whatever it is, you, you were attractive enough to make a guy call into Loveline and tell Dr. Drew about you in front of you know, millions of listeners. So, but, but you don't want him coming in, though, and, uh, and saying anything. Well, he's going to say, I'm going to be engaged two more months. Wait, you, so you're not, wait, 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 wait. So you're not single. You said you're single, but you're going to be engaged in two months? <laughs> because I want to know what's going on. Tell him sorry. Okay. No, that's okay if you're not single. That's cool. I just wanted to. I just. I wanted to know. You know. But I, didn't... I want to know him. Tell him to come. I want to know him. Oh, you do want to see him? Okay. I'll yeah, tell him to come. I do want to see him. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you. But you're engaged, though. You'll be engaged in two months. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. Uh, so you're just curious then. <laughs> and who am I speaking with? No, my name is Todd. I run a. I run a radio show called Poker Fraud Alert oh. Radio. I'm not going to be the one coming in. I, I, I don't live that close to Northridge. But uh, this individual, I'll, I'll tell him what you said. And if he wants to come in and identify himself, then, uh, then he will. But, uh, yeah, this, yeah, I want to know. Yep. Now, now you're curious who it is. But don't worry, your information is not on YouTube. You can you know, go on YouTube and you can watch it. You'll see nothing gets given out about you. But uh, I, I was so curious after this. I had to find out who is the woman that's captured his heart to, enough to where he can call up uh, – Loveline, you know what? When, what Wendy's employee would have that much of an effect uh, on a gentleman like Ken? And uh, I found out. So, in fact, you'll see a picture of him. You'll see a brief picture of him if you uh, if you look at that YouTube also. Yeah. So when I go to the YouTube, type this name that you give me, and I'll find it. If you type in that whole thing, you will see uh, at the beginning of the video, you'll see a picture of him, and then they'll play the call. Okay. Okay, well, th- thank you for your time, and uh, you know, good luck with the relationship. And uh, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell Ken what you said, and I'll see if he wants to come in and uh, say hello. Okay, thank you. Oh, but what days do you work, by the way? What days can you come in? Um, um, I have no regular days. No regular days, but you work at night. Uh, sometimes. Okay, all right. I'll have him come in. Thank you. No, oh, she's more cooperative than I thought she'd be. <laughs> she, she says she's single. And then she says, uh, no, I'm going to be engaged in two months. Maybe she's hoping that Ken is really hot and she can dump her fiancé. 
I'd be kind of pissed if I'm going to – like how do you know you're going to be engaged in two months? Like isn't – even if you know that your relationship is headed there, how do you know like in two months you're going to be engaged? Or does she mean she's engaged to be married in two months? I, I, it's kind of weird. I, I meant to ask her that, but I forgot. S double saying to me, uh, her dad is trading her for goats so she can get married. <laughs> She's engaged to be engaged. Uh, the chat accusing me of being a homewrecker. I mean, look, I, I just want to help Ken out here. I want closure here. I, did, I didn't think Ken was going to do it on his own. I thought I had to pick up the ball and help. So, okay, we have some more information. I'll send him over there. Maybe Ken will steal her away at the last minute. First she's single, then she's going to be engaged in two months, and then she wants to see him anyway. I'd be pissed if I had a fiancé or a two-months-soon-to-be fiancé who heard about something like this and like, oh, yeah, have the guy come in. Let me take a look at him. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm afraid she's going to see Ken on YouTube and be scared. But all right, she's already given permission for him to come. I thought she was going to say keep him away I was getting the idea at first She's saying no don't have him come in He's not supposed to do that But then she said no no I want to see him Lord Mikon in chat saying Indian cow is sacred I thought Why is she selling hamburgers Now she's not Indian She's like Middle Eastern of some sort You know Arab or something like that You know if Ken ends up with her And they want to go take a trip somewhere if they get married and go on a honeymoon there might be a problem with her being on the no-fly list but <laughs> other than that I think they're, they'd be in good shape S. Double saying to me she sounds thirsty go tap it well I'm not going to go tap it I'm, I'm not single myself but Ken can Ken can go tap it I, I hope he can and you know what it's true that Ken doesn't have much money it's true Ken doesn't have a car but uh, she works at Wendy's you know, I, her standards could be that high as far as uh, the money her man has to have, and she likes older guys. I was afraid she was going to say, "Oh, forget it." I don't want. Ken's actually forty-four. I didn't want to say. That. I said he's you know early forties. Is a. I, I didn't want to ruin it for him. I didn't want to go like overboard and claim he's thirty because he doesn't look thirty. But I, I said early forties. I thought maybe he can get by as that. But then she's like, "Oh yeah, that's my range." I was afraid she was going to say, "Way too, that's way too old." I noticed the girls in Vegas around that age are much, much more open to dating older guys than girls elsewhere in the country. A 23-year-old, for example, in Vegas is much more likely to date a dude who's 45 than a 23-year-old anywhere else. That was my personal observation. And as a guy who was, you know, getting around 40 in Vegas, that was uh, good. (laughs) But, But, uh... Of course, I'm sure a lot of them don't have the most noble reasons for doing so. At Desert Explorer saying in chat, after she sees Ken, she's going to say, thank you, come again. (laughs) All right. Okay. So uh, here's my editorial. We've reached everyone we've tried to call tonight, except for... um, Except for the New Jersey Department of Gaming Enforcement, which you'd think would be open 24-7. I think in Vegas they are open 24-7. Like, what if you have a problem at a casino at, like, 9 at night, 10 at night? I I guess over there it was after midnight, I didn't think of that. But 
still, like, what if the casinos are open 24-7, why shouldn't gaming be open? Maybe I called the wrong number. Like, wrong being the not the right number to be answered at that time. But whatever. Here's the editorial, and we're going to shut this down. I have had a number of experiences recently, I won't bother to go into what they were, where I was asked for my occupation. And whenever I'm asked that, I hesitate. Now, if I'm asked by somebody just in a social setting, I always tell the truth. I tell them I'm a professional poker player, that I have been since 2003. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm very willing to admit that. In fact, a lot of people think it's kind of cool when they hear that. Though not as much as they thought it was cool when the poker boom was at its height, but I, I'm still you know, very happy to admit that. In fact, it, it makes me more interesting uh, to people than rather than hearing, you know, I just have a conventional job. But what about in a situation where you don't necessarily want to be judged in one way or another for being a poker player? For example, uh, what if you're going to the doctor? going to a new doctor, yes, what do you do for a living? If you say you play poker, uh, one, you don't know how the doctor feels about poker. Maybe he's against gambling. Maybe he you know, won't give you as good a care, won't spend as much time with you, won't be as sympathetic to whatever your issues are. Or they will think that you're someone who doesn't care about money. And if it ever comes to a billing dispute, they'll see you as just some gambler who shoots money off everywhere and you know why should we do anything for him rather than just you know an average guy who who money means something to of course these are unfair stereotypes of poker players but i always think this i think if i tell someone i'm a poker player they're going to make certain assumptions about me and certain assumptions about how i handle money uh what about when you're going to buy a car and they ask you what do you do for a living if you say you're a poker player they may not want to negotiate with you very much they may say ah this is a guy who throws money around constantly, so uh, we're going to quote him a high price. We won't negotiate much with him because we know gamblers are impulsive. Gamblers just spend money when they want to spend it. Gamble, gamblers frivol money away. If he's willing to go to a casino and put his money on the line all the time, he's willing to pay MSRP for this car. There's a lot of other situations where you're afraid to say that you're a poker player. What if you're going to the police about something and they're asking you various questions that, and they ask you what you do for a living and if it doesn't have to do with a crime? Like, you know, obviously if you get mugged on the way back from the casino, you've got to be honest about it. But, you know, what if you're going to the police about, uh, you know, someone vandalized your house? Do you say you're a poker player? What if they, they think, oh, this guy's a degenerate, he probably deserved it? Uh, there's a lot of times that I am afraid to say that I play poker for a living if it will cause some kind of judgment or potential judgment about me that will be inaccurate and cause me to be treated differently in a way that I do not want. Another time you don't say you're a poker player. Uh, in fact, there was a funny little skit they did about this on those uh, Micros episodes. I think this is like on a little extra thing they released uh, just about the time when Micros was ending, uh, where there's someone going through airport security and, you know, there's someone walking through with a huge, huge cache of weapons and they let them walk right through. And uh, someone who's carrying all these knives and have blood all over him, he walks right through. And then someone says he's a poker player and everybody jumps on him and arrests him. So that's actually not too far from the truth. Uh, when you go across the border between like U.S. and Canada, you shouldn't say you're a poker player. 
I was talking about on a broadcast a few weeks ago. When you get pulled over, you should never say you're a poker player or they may want to search your car for money they can confiscate. Even if you legally obtain that money, they'll confiscate the money. and It'll become prohibitively expensive to get it back through legal fees. So you don't ever say you're a poker player there. Uh, you know, you're crossing the border. You don't want to talk about being a professional poker player. They'll see that as shady and you know, may pull you aside and ask you a million questions. So I would advise, even though there's mainstream acceptance of poker, even though poker's still on TV, though not as much as it used to be, even though people like Daniel Negreanu and Phil Hellmuth to some degree and uh, Phil Ivey are admired and famous, even enough to where Phil Hellmuth made it into a Carl's Jr. commercial, you would think with all that, it's safe to say you're a poker player. In fact, not only that, it could uh, do you some good get people to admire you. But I think only in a social setting that works. I think where you don't say it is in any kind of official business setting. It just makes people think that you're not reliable. It makes people think you might be shady. It makes people think you might have a lot of cash on you. That's another concern. You don't want to say it to people who could possibly believe you have a lot of cash in your house and you know, come over and try to rob you. Uh, basically, in any kind of business setting, I don't think it's a good thing to say. At a bank, definitely don't say that because when you say that to a bank as your occupation, then they will be watching your account possibly for online poker-related transactions and shut down their account. I spoke to a friend today who told me that they have had several bank accounts shut down because they've received wires from online poker sites. So... You don't want to ever say you have anything to do with poker when you open an account at a bank. I would suggest using generic terms such as investor or uh, just put self-employed. And if they don't ask more, then that's great. If they do ask, what do you mean by self-employed? Say you're an investor. Say you, you know, invest in the stock market. Just uh, or, or you work with computers. You can say that without even lying. You can say, I work for myself. What do you do? I work with computers. Well, you do if you're an online poker player. But you have to say something that sounds more conventional or otherwise not only will there be judgments about you, but you may run into additional unwanted scrutiny by law enforcement even if you've done nothing wrong. Where you don't ever want to run into scrutiny by law enforcement is either at the international borders, especially between the U.S. and Canada or U.S. and Mexico, or... uh, when you're pulled over. You do not want to admit you're a poker player in any of those cases. And it sucks. And I wish it wasn't that way. But I think it will make your life easier. Not only that, but when you admit you're a poker player to someone you're dealing with in a business setting, you also never know if you're going to get them mad if they're either anti-gambling or if they have lost money personally in poker, if they have failed in poker. A lot of times there's resentment from people who tried to make it in poker, even not not professionally, even people who just played poker for fun and thought they'd make money on the side and ended up losing. A lot of times they have disdain or jealousy or resentment towards those that were successful at it. So you don't want to run into one of those people who can 
do something to make your life unpleasant, you know, through a, uh, you know, dealing with them in a business or government perspective. So you don't gain much. You may think you gain something by saying you're a poker player and they go, ah, cool. And that'll happen sometimes, but the negatives far outweigh the positives. And who really cares if the person that you're dealing with in a business or a government setting thinks you're cool? Uh, It's it's much better just to keep a, a neutral sort of transaction with them and uh, really try to avoid any kind of negative thoughts about you or assumptions about you that uh, can come back to hurt you. I really have had it before where people who knew I was a poker player figured it was that they didn't have to give me good service or they didn't have to uh, give me anything for, for uh, you know, billing issues or or major customer service issues or uh, they didn't have to negotiate with price because I'm a poker player. Who cares? A poker player just uh, doesn't care about money. A poker player doesn't have high standards for things. Poker player never gets good value or good deals. These things aren't true, but that's a stereotype. So watch out with that. I've just encountered it recently that made me think about it and said, hey, this will be a good editorial. And I haven't had an editorial on this show in a little while. I kind of started running out of things to editorialize about because I kind of editorialize during the show anyway. So I don't have many unrelated topics to editorialize about. Well, we will be back next week. Around 6.30, hopefully not as late. Again on Tuesday, December 9th. I will probably have had a root canal by then. Uh, provided that there are no complications and I recover from it okay. I think I'm going to have it tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, provided there's no complications or anything, I will do the show as scheduled. If for some reason I am still in pain from the root canal by next Tuesday the show will have to be delayed or maybe even cancelled so just a warning on that front just in case uh, that happens but I am planning tentatively to have the show during its normal time once again if you want to follow my NBA picks those I bet on, those I don't bet on but still like anyway look at the Flying Stupidity Forum on what's called the Flying Stupidity Wagering Thread it's an ongoing thread, and you'll see pics from other members of the site as well. In fact, it's a popular thread. People are kind of getting into the whole sports betting thing and talking about it, and I think, I think it's fun. You know, usually sports betting is kind of like a solitary activity where you just do on your own and don't get to talk about it with many people, but here you you, know, you have all these different people on the site talking about the games they're betting and uh, you know, rooting for one another and all that. Of course, there's the uh, also the threads related to sports betting for betting the workers' party money, some of which I won by finishing second in the Workers' Party free roll on November 16th. Thank you to everybody who donated to this week's free roll that we had for this radio show. Thank you to all the live listeners and all the archive listeners. And uh, you guys can really text me at any time, 775-372-8355. I will respond to you. Uh, Unless it's something that doesn't seem to be needing response. You can text me anytime. Read it on the show. And, you know, we love our listeners here. 
I appreciate it. Everybody listens. I really do, and I enjoy hearing from new people. Good night. Hopefully, talk to you next week, and as Hanukkah approaches soon, Shalom.